0: Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that and maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket so if i could ask you for one favorite that would be it now on to the show This is Coliseum Chronicles the Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer talk, proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lizito, and welcome to episode 134. We're going off the island again. Today is the conclusion, part three of my extensive interview with Mr. Dave Marcinishan. But let's get down to business, the usual uh, comings and goings, and uh, things I have to mention first as far as uh, plugs, I guess. Uh, Social media. If you are on social media, I am too. And if you scroll down to the episode notes of this episode, you will see links to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So if you want to connect, follow those links, and uh, let's get it done. I can't make, it's like um, if you're in New York, maybe the East Coast, and you're of a certain age, you remember those old Apex Tech commercials, we can't make the first move, you have to call us, that's what they used to say, this was on TV in the 70s, probably on Channel 11, again, if you're of a certain age, you will will get the commercials, if not, you're like, what the fuck is he talking about, we're not even a minute in already, and he's uh, the old man making old man references, but, as far as us connecting on social media. That is up to you. Click on one link, click on all the links, and um, and let's connect. Let's get hooked up. Another link that you will see in those show notes is a link for the Islanders book, Islanders A to Z. That is a children's book written by Joe Buono, who I guarantee you, Joe Buono doesn't even know that I, I push this book every uh, every episode. I, for that matter, Joe Marisic probably doesn't either. But, Part of what I said to Joe Maricich when he was kind enough to do the logo for this show is, I will promote your stuff every single episode, and I'm nothing if not a man of my word. So Joe Buono and Joe Maricich probably have no idea that I, I promote the book every episode, and that's okay with me. But follow that link for Islanders A to Z. It's a great children's book, great way to introduce your child to the Islanders and Islanders history. And as I always say, it is illustrated sometimes it's easier to say than others it is illustrated by mighty joe marisich the great long island artist who created the logo for this very program and if you're interested in having an art project done by the great joe marisich reach out to him on facebook at graphics joker or on the internet at loudegg.com Now, I am a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, We have over 100 shows on the network now. I guess I could say we. It's not my network, but I am a part of it. But uh, there's over 100 shows on the network now. Every team has at least one show dedicated to it. I believe there's two shows dedicated to the Islanders. There might even be three. I don't even know. But uh, no matter who you're a fan of, there will be a show on there. Now, I have coined myself, Darren, Alec and Jordan, the four horsemen of the hockey fight podcast genre for, I can't even spit this out. We're the four horsemen of the hockey fight podcast genre of the hockey podcast network. Well, Let's start with Darren of the fourth line voice, the longest serving member on the network and the longest serving member to have a podcast. His guest this past week, well, None other than Alec from the Five for Fighting podcast. And they came up with a very good point in this episode. Alec, I believe, has done more episodes on Darren's show in the last, I don't know, month, two months than he has on his own show. But things appear to be um, uh, on course now for Alec, but we'll get to him in a second. Uh, So, yeah, check out the, uh, the Fourth Line Voice podcast now. Alec is the official East Coast Hockey League correspondent for the fourth line voice. And they, uh, they do an East coast hockey league preview show. So definitely check that out. Um, Listening to those two goofballs is always fun. Anyway, no matter what they're talking about, Alec was drinking. I, I believe he said Bush latte. So I don't know. Is that him saying Bush light? I don't know. I can't imagine. Again, I'm not a very experienced beer drinker. Uh, I drink maybe four beers, five beers, Um, and they're all pretty much standard stuff like Moosehead, Peroni, Labatt, uh, things like that. I, I I don't stray off course here. And I think he said Bush Latte, but I don't know if there's an actual, with all these beers now, who the hell knows? Maybe that's just what he calls Bush Lights. Uh, I meant to ask him, but I guess I'll find out if he listens to this episode because he'll, he'll respond. But, um, yeah, Alec and, uh, Jay in Iowa, they, they're very, uh, eclectic when it comes to their beer selections. But again, let's reel it in here. Check out the East coast hockey league preview on the fourth line voice, the latest episode there. And uh, please subscribe to that fine show and uh, like it. And if you get a chance, leave a review more importantly, probably the five-star review. Uh, Even if you don't leave a, a a worded review, the five-star review probably goes a longer way. And now brings us to Alec of the five for fighting podcast. Uh, his latest episode um, on his show was bringing everyone up to date and um, his the top five ECHL guys. But forget about the latest episode. Alec today I saw on social media was uh, promoting um, an appearance of Luke Gadsick coming on soon. Now, Alec, the balls on this kid, I, I mean, he must carry it around in a wheelbarrow because I will never, ever jinx it where I'm going to say I have a guest coming up, unless it's a guest that I know is definitely coming up and it's going to be a, uh, 20 questions sort of uh, deal, but the bravery on this kid, I mean, I tell you, I, I, I guess I've been burned enough to know that uh, I'm not putting it out there. I'll even, I'll do you one better. Uh, I'm working on someone right now to get on the show. And I used to talk to one of his teammates, uh, you know, a long time ago, all the time. And we lost contact. And I reached out to one of that guy's former teammate. It's like a chain here. One of that guy's former teammates recently saying, I I need you to reconnect us because I may have a guest coming on and uh, I want to know what his memories are of that player. I didn't even tell this guy who the teammate was because I've been so (laughs) I've been burned before and jinxed before by uh, letting the cat out of the bag and, uh, and Alec just goes out there and puts it all on social media. Luke Gatsick's coming on. So if anyone has any questions, send them on. God, I, maybe it's the Marine in him that, uh, that he has so much bravery, but, uh, but definitely uh, get in touch with Alec. If you have any, uh, any questions or comments for Luke, uh, definitely looking forward to that interview. And, Again, just like with the fourth line voice, uh, you know, go give Alec a five star review and like the show and follow the show. Uh, definitely helps us out. You know, it's it's the same song and dance that I say every episode, but it really does mean a lot to uh, to us small creators here. So and um, I'm not sure when he's coming back, but uh, keep an eye out for the five in the game podcast with Jordan. So um, and also please follow the corresponding YouTube channels. For these fine shows, the 4th Line Voice YouTube channel, the 5 for Fighting YouTube channel, and the 5 in a Game YouTube channel. Definitely follow that stuff on YouTube and uh, like and review on your uh, podcast platform that you listen to those fine fellas in. Now, the biggest wheel on the network, and it's funny, I say that every week, and then I start thinking of people on the network who probably think of themselves as the biggest wheel on the network, but uh, most people, well probably everybody but their parents probably would laugh and go, yeah, okay. Uh, The biggest wheel on the network is Terry Ryan tales with TR. Um, And now my uh, 52, almost 53 year old memory is escaping me. He did have a guest this past week and I'm absolutely drawing a blank and I apologize for that. But, Terry Ryan doesn't need a guest to have an entertaining show. Definitely uh, check out all his shows. Uh, also he's introduced his tales with TR merchandise. I actually got a tales with TR shirt in the mail today. Uh, I posted that on my social media with my, uh, custom, uh, Ted Hitchcock Funko pop. So, uh, check out Terry's show and, um, same thing. Listen, Terry Ryan is, he's, he's a big deal. So, uh, you can help him out by liking and subscribing to his show. Uh he's on a different level than us, but Terry's a great guy, so so I'd definitely do that too. But check out his merchandise and uh grab yourself some Tales with TR merchandise. Also, uh Five for Fighting, he has merchandise too. So while you're following his show, definitely check out um the links to his show. It slipped my mind about the merchandise probably because I don't have any, but anyway, I'll have to uh I'll have to look into it. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Anyway, um yeah, so check out Tales with TR also on this very network. Terry's a great guy so do that. And um, as I'm fond of mentioning, uh, I am a game used gear collector Um, I won't go through the whole spiel again because it would be the third time I've done it for Dave Marsnition, but uh, if you have any enforcer, game used gear, jerseys, helmets sticks, gloves that you're looking to get rid of, especially if they focus on the Islanders or the Nordiques, let me know and maybe we can work something out. So very quickly, uh, this is a part three of my interview with Dave Marsanishin. You know, as I went back and listened to the first two episodes, uh, Dave was probably one of the most prepared guests I had. Uh, very well spoken guy. Very uh, very knowledgeable about. Not obviously his career, but the guys that he played with. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool that he obviously did his research, uh, knew what I was going to, what I was going to bring, the style I was going to bring, and wanted to make sure that he mentioned a lot of his old teammates. I probably was going to bring them up anyway, but he brought up some guys that I definitely you know, wouldn't have necessarily brought up if they weren't uh, a physical player. So um, I think Dave was unbelievable. And uh I hope that you've tuned into the first two episodes of this interview and I hope you enjoy this third one. Um also on the part two, I went on my a rant. Um and I, I've gotten some feedback on that and it's been one hundred percent positive. So if you haven't listened, please go back and listen to my rant about people in the media lumping everything together in terms of hockey culture. That uh basically the long and the short of it is um You can't have an individual incident happen in the sport of hockey without certain members of the media lumping everything all together with hockey culture. And then all of a sudden it's not a problem with an individual. No, it's a problem with the sport and it's a problem with the culture. And I'm going to stop myself now because I feel myself getting fired up and uh, I I don't want to repeat myself, but I was actually talking to someone today and they listened to it and, you know, they sent me a text and they really enjoyed it. And the thing I said was for for me it's kind of like when and it doesn't happen often anymore, but when people would reach out to me and want me to go on their show regarding my incident on the subway, and I right away from the start, I always tell them, I don't know much about you or your show, but i will I, and I always make it clear right from the beginning if if this is a show that is is slanted towards you know kind of sewering cops or law enforcement you do you I would never tell you how to do your show but that's not going to be me because I'm I'm able to take an isolated incident and not absolutely set fire to an entire line of work and what I mean by that is the day of my subway incident I had the two biggest fucking loser cops ever in the history of law enforcement on the subway with me but through marriage I'm related to some very good cops. I'm blessed to have a sister who was an excellent cop. And I've, I'm blessed to have, well, even through marriage, I'm blessed that these guys were great cops. I'm blessed to know them. They're like more like good friends. Um, and I have some good friends who were cops. And I know, just speaking from personal experience, knowing these individuals, that if they were on the train with me that day, uh, probably Maxim Gelman, and this may... I don't know if it would hurt anyone's feelings, but Maxim Gelman would have gone off the train in a body bag. Um, and I know there are plenty of police officers who would have done something that day. So why am I going to sewer an entire law enforcement force the, uh, because of the actions or inactions of two officers? It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I know that seems to be the way things are now. You take one incident and you just, damage an entire industry or you just lump everything together and um and that's never been my way and and i've been that way since everything happened to me when people want to talk to me i'm not going you're, you're not going to get me on the show to say that you know police officers are this police officers are that if you would like to give me specific incidents incidences other than mine my personal experiences with these two cops i'm all ears and in some cases, I will probably agree with you. But don't have me on your show expecting me to just sue law enforcement because I had the two biggest pussy cops ever in the history of the world on the train I me. Mean, that's not how I operate. Now, you know, the hockey culture thing, some of these incidents were really reprehensible. They were disgusting. They were vile. But those are isolated incidents. And for every one of those incidents, there's a thousand great things that hockey culture brings to the world or brings to fans and stuff like that. So I've probably gone on about it longer than I wanted to. That was in the intro of part 2 with of Dave Marcinish and really the episode's not about me and my rant. It's it's about Dave, but um I wanted to thank everybody who did reach out about my rant and I hope you stayed and listened to the entire interview. Uh Dave puts a bow on the uh, interview in this episode. Uh, once again, great guest. And um, in case you missed it, uh, on Fridays for the foreseeable future, probably the next month, maybe a little more than that. And the last few weeks, I have been doing um, the Lost Episodes. Uh, my first, it's numbers one through nine, but it probably amounts to about 12 or 13 episodes uh, that had never made it even to the Hockey Podcast Network. And that includes... Uh, the one I released last Friday, which was part one of Mick Vakoda and Mick and I probably spoke for about 10 hours total. Um, and that was part one. So this Friday I will be releasing part two. And, um, if you haven't heard it yet, um, that's the one interview a lot of people do bring up with me that, uh, that's where they kind of latched to because, and I, and I think it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with Mick, Mick, um, Mick lives Mick lives everything he's ever done as a person and as a player. He doesn't run from it. He lives who he is, and it comes out in the interview, and he was just phenomenal. So um, if you haven't heard the interview yet, definitely go back and check it out. Uh, the Lost Episodes Part 1 with Mick Vakoda. Uh, part 2 will be released this Friday. Uh, and honestly, even if you listen to it way back when I first uploaded it years ago, I think it still holds up. He's an amazing guest. So um, I think that's enough self-promotion for me. I just want to thank everybody. Uh, I don't do this enough and I should. And I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this show, because I know it's an investment of time, even if you break it up into 10 different listenings, it's it's a time investment. And um, but that's how I feel like I can bring the best interviews to you. And I know I know that everybody and their dog has a podcast nowadays, and it seems like every week there are more and more of them sprouting up. And, um, you know, there are plenty of people out there with a bigger name than myself, and um, the fact that you chose to spend some of your time listening to my show uh, definitely means the world to me. So thank you very much. So uh, I'm going to end this hug fest right there. So everybody out there, I hope you have a great week. Stay tuned on Friday for part two with Mick Vakoda. Um, I hope that you people enjoy part three with Dave Marcinishan. And as I always say, I hope everybody out there, I hope that you people please stay safe. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team can go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. I read an article uh, after this season uh, in uh, in Quebec and Halifax that um, you had pondered retirement after this season and the Rangers were interested in you and the Flyers had contacted you. Um, is that an, Was that article accurate that maybe you were thinking about hanging it up and, and was it, in fact, the interest of those teams that maybe relit a fire with you?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I was, like, how serious I was about it, but I will say when, <clears throat> like, let's look at that history. You have the four years in Utica, pounding it, the pavement under Tommy McVie, right, is just, like, under a hot iron and a stove on top of it, and paying your dues, going to Jersey, you know, being a part of the lineup, thinking you can play, and then – going to Quebec's organization and thinking they're terrible and they need help. And I'm having the career year that I had and going, what does it take to be recognized? And what does it take to be given that chance to play in the NHL? And, you know, that's what we talk about. Like that right guy in the right place has to like you. Maybe you need that one-way contract and not a two-way contract. And you just, you start scratching your head and going, man, I've worked as hard as I possibly can, I've developed as not to say that I wasn't a better player after that, because I was, I was smarter. I was more efficient on the ice. And I think of my years in Germany and, you know, I was very smooth in my decision-making and had even better skill. Like the longer you to have a stick in your hand, you're going to be more adept with it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you start to think like, what, what is it, why, why am I doing this? If I'm not getting to the ultimate goal or the achievement that I want, and I think, you know, you don't want to have that attitude like, I think I'm better than some of the guys in the NHL, but, like, I played with them or I played against them, and they're there, but I'm not. And so you start to, I don't know, either doubt the system or doubt yourself. And, you know, that maybe that's just a, a, a flash-in-the-pan thought and maybe that's what that interview was. Mm-hmm. And me just kind of going like, what more does it take? What, what more can I do? And uh, to hit roadblocks within New Jersey's organization and Quebec's uh, made me feel like I'm really fighting an uphill battle to, to get to that ultimate goal.
0: Um, how, how hard did the Rangers come after you? Because, uh, like you say, even if it was just a, fle- a fleeting thought, you ended up signing with the Rangers, and, and I also read, like I said, Philly was interested. Um, I guess they must have made you feel wanted in order for you
1: to sign two years with them. Well, and again, that's, that goes back to, um, I guess, my agent selling me on it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was excited about it. But at the same time, I was a little bit disappointed because I didn't know when I signed how many defensemen they had under contract.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One thing I wish my agent would have told me or been privy to, because I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. I'm up in and there's 24 NHL defensemen. Like, what am I doing here? So the thing for me at that time, which was maybe a little bit of a... A tweaking point that made it attractive was a, I had tried out for team Canada and I had a great camp and they wanted me to sign with them. Okay. So in my clause, in my contract with New York, which was one of the few teams I think that was willing to do this, that <clears throat> if I was unhappy at any time during the season, I could join team Canada. Okay. So I thought that was a nice option. Definitely. I could travel the world, play with, on uh, Olympic side dice with great skilled players and, you know, really have an enjoying time where I, m- I might be looking at doing the Olympics. Yeah. Right. So that was a feeling. And so that clause was put in the contract for me by the Rangers and I, I'd still get paid. Right, because I'm, I'd still at any time be their property and and be willing to get called up. Right, so it it was a real uh, small detail in the contract that uh, made it appealing to me to sign with the Rangers. I was disappointed to, you know, go to camp and how many defensemen they did have because I was like, it's going to be tough. Uh,
0: a few guys that you ended up playing with in Binghamton that year, I, I want to ask you about. One guy is a, a guy that I've known a very long time. I had him, I interviewed him on my old show, and uh, I actually just met his son a couple of weeks ago. That's Danny LaCroix, uh, sort of a Renaissance man. He, he's an artist. He's a photographer. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Danny?
1: Yeah, Danny was a really eclectic guy, man. He had those, he had those skill sets that most hockey players don't have, like that artisticness yeah. to him. Phenomenal drawer. I remember seeing some of his art and being like, wow, that's impressive stuff. Uh, You know, and tough, lefty, kind of reminded me a little bit of Danny, uh, Dennis Chesse Mm -hmm. in uh, Facts, right? Because I just gotten out of that organization. And uh, I think Danny ended up getting a skate on his wrist that year. Mm, Okay, that I don't remember. I think he's slight. You know what? If you look up how many games he played, he might have actually missed quite a few because he severed like a vein or a tendon in his wrist, I think. And I think he was missing for a while out of the lineup. Actually, he played three that year. Okay. Maybe
0: he has amazing recuperative powers.
1: Oh, no, that somebody... Somebody in Bingo got sliced with a skate. Was it Christian Hockey?
0: That could be. It. He played sixty-five games.
1: Five. Yeah, I know. I know somebody had a pretty serious injury there that year with a skate across the wrist. I just thought it might be Danny. Okay. No, so my memory memory is a lot like yours. We could pull holes.
0: Listen, I can't <laughs> ask you to remember everyone else's career. You're doing a fantastic job with yours right now.
1: Uh, you know what uh, you know, Danny was? He was a super nice guy, and like you said, he, he had some special talents. That was, that was pretty cool. You know, and uh, I got a little little asterisk beside a name here, too, that I'd like to pay respect to, and that's Ron Smith. Oh, I was going to ask you about him, but go ahead. Yeah, I like unfortunate circumstances there. Um, I thought Ron was one of the classier coaches I, I had experiences dealing with. Uh, very unfortunate to hear about his passing, yeah. very upset. Uh, him and Al Smith were uh, just a great one-two combination as a head coach and assistant coach. They cared about the teams. They had great practices. They had great systems. And you can see the success we had in in, uh, in Bingo. Mm-hmm. Well, that's from the coach down. And uh, those two guys had a lot to, to fuel that system. We had great players, a lot of talent, but... Uh, a fine run machine is, is, is done by coaching as well, too, right?
0: Yeah, I figured that uh, you and F. Smith probably, uh, um, Ron Smith, you probably liked him because I figured that was probably a primary reason why you ended up in Cincinnati when you did.
1: Absolutely. Look at the lineup. Look at how many bingo guys ended up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's why guys, guys were not scared to sign where Ron was because they knew what they were getting out of him. He was great. Uh, another
0: player you played with, uh, Islander Ties here, Mike Stevens, uh, Scott Stevens' kid brother.
1: What do you remember about playing with Mike? <laughs> uh, Mike was probably one of the most entertaining on and off the ice. Um, if there was a joke to be given, it was on Mike. Uh, usually what came out of Mike's mouth was a joke, but it ended up being a joke on him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody laughed at Mike. That's all I can say. And he... He took it. It was just water off a of duck's back, and he just waited for the next barber, the next joke to come. And you know what? Sincerely, a really, a really fun guy to have in the dressing room. Yeah, lots of good memories about Mike.
0: And we we spoke about uh, Serge Robert being a technician, but there's another guy that you played with here. Only played. Uh, I don't even think he played 20 games in Bingo. Went on to have a fantastic NHL career and battling all these guys bigger than him, but he would give them fits with his style, and that's Darren Langdon. What was it like seeing a young Darren Langdon at the time?
1: Yeah, and Darren, you know, another one of those, like, very humble, very classy guys. He comes from the merry times, and he just no chip on his shoulder whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You, know? I, you know, you you got to really give a guy credit for as tough as he was and what he did to just always remain humble. And he was, he was, uh, when he stepped into the lineup, he was just a well liked guy and we didn't know what to expect from him, right? He was just turning his chops, but you could tell right away from his style that he could take a punch. He was willing to give it. And then when a guy knew that you're like, oh boy, I am, I have my hands full here. I'm in trouble because he's going to give it back and I can't hurt him. So what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, Darren Darren was just a great teammate. You know, uh, I can't say enough about what he did literally to go on with his career and the games that he played and the fights that he had. That, uh, really great to see him have the success that he did.
0: And one guy that he played three games there, it was a blip on the screen. He later on went on to become sort of a minor league legend with Las Vegas, and he played some games in the NHL with New Jersey and Calgary do you remember anything about Sasha Lakovic and the three games he played with Binghamton? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, kind of like the tie Domi mm-hmm. type tune of run around cause as much crap as I can on the ice. And whoever wants to fight me, he's going to fight me and uh, I'll live with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All that was there. I mean, There's a couple other guys, too, on that team, like Worthman, like juice. Yep. You know what? Unbelievable, tough-as-nails Swede that blocked more shots than he took. It was unreal how how that guy got in front of a puck. Joby Messier was the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, Went out of college. I thought he was, uh, you know, a skilled player, but... He was fearlessly getting in front of the net. Those two guys, uh, their block shot blocking and capabilities back then, because that wasn't done back then. Mm-hmm. But I they were really ahead of their time of what they were doing and, and getting in front of the, the puck. Because I thought, hey, man, first of all, it's brave. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you see the welts and you see the bruises. and You're like, oh, my God. That's, uh, you know, I had enough broken toes and feet and hands and things like that and bruises, but. From, from pox, but when you're diving in front of shots and doing what they did, I, I tip my hat to those guys for sure. Uh, so there,
0: before your call-up, I, I have the list here of four fights, all all guys who are known for uh, uh, being tough. I don't have any view on any of them, so I'll just r- rattle off the names and uh, you can tell me if anything rings a bell. Uh, one of the guys we mentioned was Dean Malcock. Uh, Dan Frawley and Jeff Serka of Rochester – and uh, Jim Matheson, who would have been a skipjack at the time in Baltimore, so these are all pre-call up. Any of those uh, bouts ring a bell for any particular reason?
1: Oh uh, well, it's funny because you mentioned that because you sent me that one picture of the Dan Frawley. Yeah, yeah, because it was ball like. Was it the Baltimore Whaler uniform? No
0: that that was the Cronin picture. Oh, that shot. That was cr- the Bingham. That was the Binghamton picture. Was Cronin? The uh, one with Frawley was the one where you were, you were your arm was cocked back and ready to unload. That was the Frawley picture.
1: Okay, okay. I mean, I think I remember fighting Frawley. I mean, he was a fairly gamer.
0: Yeah, he's a veteran at that time too. So,
1: uh, For sure. So mm-hmm. I do remember that fight. I think it was a half-decent tilt. And I know Dean and I, I think, tussled twice. Mm-hmm. And I do remember that first fight. And again, it was kind of like, you know what? I was back in Utica, and I was like, I want to prove my point of Jersey letting me go and not give maybe a better shake. And uh, Dean and I talked after, and he goes, he goes, Dave. He goes, you hit me with every punch. He goes, I just felt like I couldn't do anything. I, <laughs> he goes, I got beat up. He goes, you, you know, you. He goes, hats off to you. But I know our fight the next time was way different. He, Dean was a way better fighter mm-hmm. and a very good, you know, bigger, stronger dude. And gave, gave me definitely fits fighting him the second time. So, But I do remember the first fight, and that was, I, I definitely they got the better of him. Um, you got
0: called up to the Rangers. You played two games. Luckily, it was uh, the West Coast trip. So you got to play in Alberta. You got to play against Calgary and Edmonton. And one thing I noticed when I looked at the lineups from that night, uh, Brian Leach didn't play. So, were you called
1: up to replace Brian Leach? Well, it's funny you ask that because what was going on at the time? When we in Binghamton obviously like set records that year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wins on the road at home had a stellar team. The Bigs had a big year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know Brian Reynolds and. Mm-hmm lots of guys, talented guys. Right. And I went to the coaches and I literally went to Ron and I said, Ron, you know, New York's making a swing out West. And I'm like, am I going to get rewarded for doing what I'm doing in this organization? Is there a chance I get a call up here this year? Like what more can I do? And sure enough, I think, I think Ron put in that call Mm -hmm. and Hey, you know there is a guy down here deserving. Do you guys need a defenseman at this time for this road swing and great? You know, take some extra bodies out there. And I don't remember Brian not playing. Mm-hmm. Your reference to that, I don't. But I was very excited to make the trip and uh, get to again to play in front of mom and dad. Was outstanding in Edmonton and played two really good games. You know, we won one nothing in. Uh, Edmonton and a 4-4 tie in Calgary and I had some cousins that had never seen me play in person and they they went to the Calgary game and they were like wow we didn't know Dave was like a regular in the lineup like they didn't know I was that good and that that I was just a a part of a six-man rotation kind of thing I wasn't some guy sitting on the bench not playing and and I was killing penalties and doing everything and they were like yeah that was impressive weird it was fun to watch.
0: Yeah, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, well, you only got the two games, but at least they were out west, and, and you could have friends and family see us. So I, I, I guess, uh, you know, even though it was just those two games, at least uh, you got to play in front of in front of your friends and family. So um, you shared a locker room with some pretty pretty good players when you were with the Rangers. Um, what, what is the aura? You know, Mark Messier has this aura about him. Maybe not in Vancouver, but everywhere else. Uh What's it like sharing a locker room with Mark Messier?
1: Yeah, well, you can just tell the the leadership and all eyes are on him, right? Like, what's he going to do and what's he going to say? You know, because you know it's going to be some sage advice and guys are going to buy in because he leads by example. So it's not like someone's going to question his leadership because you didn't have to. You knew it was there. Um,
0: Especially going back to Edmonton, also playing the game in Edmonton. You know, he's the center of attention wherever he goes, but especially there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the history was there for him. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, we talked about the other day about jerseys and you're kind of in your basement with all the years. And there wasn't many things I did smartly in in keeping paraphernalia and and keepsakes, but that game I actually, after I got, the Rangers to autograph a couple of sticks and I still have those sticks. Cool. That's cool. I just, something I didn't do often enough and I, I myself for not doing it, but it is one of the keepsakes that I am kind of rather proud of that. I did, uh, keep, keep something from that game and I was in Edmonton. So, but yeah, Mark was a leader and you know, there's a couple other guys on that list that, that wrote down that I'm not sure if people realize how good they are. But, you know, obviously Brian Leach was Hall of Famer. But for a defenseman playing at a defense position and watching Sergei Zuboff come over and do what he did with his career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you hear a guy like when, when he was in Dallas and he won a Stanley Cup with Hitchcock. And Hitchcock, I think, tipped his hat and said, if I was ever to pick a defenseman that I'd want on my team, to win me a game or to be in a clutch position because his his heart rate was never over a hundred in a game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Saying how cool and calm he was and his skill set was insane. Like Sergei Zubov was just an unreal treat to watch and, and play with on the ice. And Alexei Kovalev was probably one of the most talented players I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And you know he's kind of got a re- bad reputation. There's no doubt, not the best attitude. Mm-hmm. But as far as skill, like, holy cow, off the chart.
0: Totally off. Uh, Someone I want to ask you about, Adam Graves. I mean, uh, I think whenever anyone – I've had the opportunity to speak to him a few times. I'm one of the millions of people who spoke to Adam Graves who wouldn't remember me from anyone. But I always say, like, Adam Graves kind of – people will meet Adam Graves and he's 50 goal scorer, Stanley cup champion. But when you speak to Adam Graves, he's really interested in who you are, even if it's a two minute conversation. And that to me was just like, you know, coming from, you know, his upbringing with his family. I think they had a lot of foster, foster children, um, just salt of the earth, good human. And you got to spend some time with him.
1: Yeah. And, you know, he's another one of those guys. that will use that term. Like if you ran into him, It's like running into a brick wall. Yeah, He was a tank of a man. Like, thick everything. Thick shoulders and chest and legs, and you're just like, hands. Like, the guy was a beast. Mm -hmm. There's no reason. Like, there's no wonder. He scored 50 goals, and he was a leader on that team. Like, he was just a Hulk playing a finely skilled game that not many, when you have that term, like, power forward Mm -hmm. that Brent... And that Adam Graves, yeah, there's not many. That's that's breaking the mold right there. He's one of the few that could do what he did. Yeah, but and again, you're right. Like classy, soft spoken, very demure in his in his demeanor, and just so, you know that Joe Sackick, yeah. Kirk, those guys that I played with, that really they really stand out uh, amongst the others that are all playing the same game and all in the same locker room, but they're their personality really does stand out, for sure.
0: And I'd remiss. I mean, obviously, the, the focus of the show are, are the tougher players. And uh, you. we spoke about Twister during your time in Quebec and, and during your time in the Ranger organization. Uh, you were a teammate of Joey Koser. Uh Some people would say he's the toughest player of all time. Best fighter. Everyone knows about the right hand. Do uh, you have any experiences with Joey?
1: Yeah, no, not really, None to share other than just watching all the fight tapes of him myself, too. (laughs) And just saying that, you know, he was... You know, a guy like I relate to is like a a Todd Hawkins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, Todd was about the same size.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Joey Kosher was not that big of a guy. And that's what some people, I I think, fail to realize, is that there were so many big boys back then playing the game. And he was... uh, you know, he was a beast among those men, yet he wasn't that big. So yeah. there's lots of credit to be given to him for what he did and accomplished in the, in the fights that he dominated against much bigger men.
0: And I, I read the, uh, your season ended in an unfortunate way, but I, I didn't get to see any other details. Uh, you suffered a broken jar. You got hit, hit in the face with a puck. Uh, what, was that? what was that story? Yeah, well, the regular a, season, because you did play in the playoffs, but your regular season ended with that.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. I know I tell a couple of people this story, but they, they have a hard time believing it. Uh, it, was, it was funny. was team we were playing pulled the goalie, and so the puck went from one side of the net to the other. So as I crossed over to take the forward in front, the, the, the puck went across the blue line, and it was a one-timer. And what it did is it went off a Stephen King's stick. It tipped, he was, you know, it was actually like almost like in between his hand and the blade. It was just a part for it. Yeah. The flecked off of typically, you know, it would go off the blade. Yeah. It's, he told me after, he's like, Dave, that he was that went off my stick and it just it tipped up. And I had turned my body to to box the guy out of the front of the net. And as I turned, the puck hit me square in the jaw. Broke it in three places. Ugh wired shut for a month and uh good thing i had great medical care there i think dr schneider was the doctor at that time and he was a jaw specialist he was in the crowd saw oh, the incident, okay came into the locker room did one test all i had to do he goes he just he put his finger in his my, my mouth and he said bite down and i bit down and my jaw just went and oh it. god well we're going to the hospital i'll take you <laughs> <laughs> Go for surgery oh man <laughs> So, when I came back, I had to try to stay in shape, and I had to like try to maintain my conditioning and my weight because I'm losing weight, you can't eat much right, right well they were they were talking about knocking teeth out in the back so I could suck some kind of food in between my teeth because I had such a tight bite, yeah, and no holes, so I still had all my natural teeth, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that, I'll just I'll blenderize everything mm-hmm. so. You blend her pork chops and chicken and put enough milk in it to make it, suck it through a straw. Yeah. And uh, when I came back, the doc was like, listen, there's a good chance you're in the playoffs. If you get in a fight, I I might have to rewire your jaw. You might break the jaw again. Mm -hmm. So at that time, what they do is they put these pegs on your teeth, upper and lower, and they wire it. They run wire through it to keep it wired shut.
0: And you were—that
1: was during a game. You had to wear that. No, no, because okay. like, I, so I he took the wire off, so my jaw could now be open and I could breathe. Okay. He left the pegs on my teeth in case I rebroke it, and I'd have to wire it shut. Okay. So the first game, I don't know. I think it's Rochester. We're playing. Maybe I, I'm not sure. I might have even been Kevin Kerr. Who knows? <laughs> but someone popped me with their glove on. And nailed my lips onto the spikes. That were... So I had about thirty pegs. So I'd have to like ma- imagine this. I mean, you can see me visibly, but yeah. to pull my lips off the y off the pegs and try to get the holes to heal, but they would my lips would just go right back onto the pegs. Exactly. It, yep. Oh took months to heal until they took off finally we were done the playoffs and he took all the pigs off and then the holes in my mouth finally got to heal but you know those little things that people don't know what guys do to pay the price to keep on playing right holy shit
0: that's unbelievable oh my god yeah and that's why it didn't make sense that's why i said did they do that while you were playing Cause i don't know how you breathe how you'd be able to skate with your jaw wired shut
1: so yeah so- what I had was I'd, I'd go on the ice with the team. I'd practice a little bit, but then I'd do my own conditioning after. So I couldn't breathe very well. And the doctor said, like, obviously you can, what's called, you can aspirate, which is if you were to throw up, mm-hmm. you'd on your own vomit. Right. It will look down into your lungs. So I would have, I had a set of wire cutters on the bench ready to go in case I had to cut the wires and open my mouth and vomit if I was overexerting myself to get back.
0: I've heard that before. I can't even imagine what that would be like. Just you you feel like you're going to throw up. Normally in that case, you're looking for a bucket. You're looking for a toilet. Now you got to look for these pliers and hope you can cut them in time. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. not, Not a safe situation to be in. That's for sure.
0: After the season in Binghamton, there's a lot of guys that were in your like your career range where you played a lot of years in the American League. Maybe you got a cup of coffee or two in the in the NHL. All of a sudden, the IHL is a viable option. They're growing. Um, they're in, they're expanding to bigger cities, nicer cities. Um, it 's an option because now the cities are nicer you 're flying by planes as opposed to the bus rides, and you find yourself signing with Milwaukee. Uh, what led to that to uh, leaving the American League signing with Milwaukee?
1: Yeah, that was a, it was a tough choice, but at the you know not being NHL affiliated, so there was that dynamic where you 're thinking, does this cut my chances down to get back into the NHL? But then you look at the lineup. And you you look at what's there and you're like, well, if I'm surrounding myself with a bunch of great hockey players, you know, the scouts watch everything. So if you have a good season, you're going to be noticed and you're going to be right back there signing a contract. So the money was good. Uh, Milwaukee had uh, deep pockets. They paid well. It was a step up. And. You know, it ended up being a, a really good choice. I thought it was a, gr- a really good team. There was good guys, good hockey players, uh, Gino Cavallini and Tony herkus and the likes of, of guys like that. And, yeah, I, I did mine mind, you know, uh, Phil Whitlock was a really nice GM. He had spent most of his career there. I know his numbers were retired. That's why I switched from 27 to 72 that year. Okay. And uh, it was uh, Kurt uh, Fraser, right? And, NHL experienced guy, um, pretty easy to make that choice, right? Thinking it's going to be a well-run organization.
0: And actually, I, wanna, I wanted to ask you about uh, a few guys and also Kurt Fraser, but I noticed you only played one game that year uh, due to a spinal fusion, and you and I were just talking about uh, a back injury I currently have, which doesn't sound nearly as bad as a spinal fusion. I don't even know what that is.
1: Uh, how did that happen, and um, what is it really? Yeah, so it was the last preseason game of the year. I'm pretty sure we were playing Kansas City. Uh, big, strong defenseman. He did, I mean, he was, he was pretty tough, fought enough. Can't remember his name. But anyways, you know, when you're starting a fight, you want to just pull each other off balance and try to see what you can do and get that guy, like, off his feet. And we both pulled each other down. And so we went down, and I hit my head on the ice. I thought what I thought was light. I uh, didn't feel anything. No, no injury occurred. Uh, near the end of the game, close enough uh, to take us through to the end of the game with our penalty minutes. And I just skated off the ice. Went to the restroom, changed, showered, regular routine, and went home. And that night at about three in the morning, I woke up with the most excruciating pain in my upper back. And it was like my entire upper body and neck had seized, went into spasm. And so I was like, holy cow, this is bad. So Went to the rink the next day, talked to the trainers. They, all they did was just try to, you know, let's calm the muscles down. We don't know. You know I'm, I'm not complaining of an injury. I'm just complaining that my back is seized up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we tried all we could in, like, non-invasive tactics, massage and ultrasound. And, and we couldn't get it to settle down. So went for an x-ray. Nothing shows on the x-ray. So we got it down, settled enough. There was enough time, let's say, who knows, eight, nine, ten days in between the first season or uh, preseason game and the first season, regular season game. I'm not doing too well. You know, I'm trying my best. I'm still in a lot of pain. Play the first game and I'm not doing well. And by the end of the second period, you know, Kurt Frazier gets in my face and I don't blame him. I'm not, I just can't. I can't do anything on the ice. And he says, you know, you know, Marsh, come on. What's, what's going on? You're not hitting anybody. You're not doing anything out there. You got to get involved. And I didn't say anything in front of the team, but I just, I went into his office and I literally could not lift my hands to my shoulders. Like I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even move. And I just said, I said, Kurt, like something's wrong. The injury is there's something going on in my neck. I don't know what it is, but I'm dying. And I can't play, so we. I, I undressed. I didn't finish that game. The third period, I didn't finish. So then we just continued to do, uh, you know, therapy. Got an MRI lined up, and it showed that. And so by this time, by the time I've got the MRI done, there's a pathway from the back of my neck to the tip of my two fingers that's burning, like it's on fire, like somebody taking a lighter and just burning that pathway down my tricep, down my forearm to my fingers. I was living on painkillers. I had two hours of sleep a night. I either slept from five in the morning to seven or seven in the morning to nine. It's the only time my body would just peter out. And the MRI showed that my disc was completely blowing out and pinching a nerve, that nerve pathway all the way down my arm. So <clears throat> the spinal fusion is... So it's the, the cervical collar is the, or cervical spine is the top seven vertebrae in the neck. So mine was blown out in between c- cervical six and seven. So what they did is they went in through the front. It's actually a very interesting surgery, but there's too many muscles in the back to cut through to get through to the spine that way. So they go in the front. I've got a scar in the front of my neck, and they peel everything apart. removed the disc because it was blown out like there's surgeries now like you know um jack eichel is a very good example of exactly what was going on with him this past season and his decision to not do surgery so back then and it was good like milwaukee i give them credit i tip my hat to them uh this guy was a cervical spine specialist excellent surgeon and he just brought me in and said this is what we need to do and if you want to play hockey again you're going to do everything I tell you to do. So they take all the disc out and they chip, they take a chisel and take bone off my iliac crest in my hip. So you can feel, so I've got a scar down on my hip and you can feel like if you were to feel one side, it's nice and smooth and round. And the other side is just like chiseled out bone. There's just a big chunk of it missing. They put those pieces of bone in between the vertebrae to fuse together. So that's where the fusion comes in. (laughs) And it's a cervical spine fusion. Mm -hmm. And so I lived in a collar. I don't know if you ever, you know, know the people that get in a car accident, they Mm have collars. Well, I lived in a hard collar. So that rode right under my jawline, stiff, hard plastic. You couldn't even, the doctor didn't even want me in a vehicle for six weeks. He wanted no jarring, no impact. He wanted those bones to fuse properly together. Then I went to a five weeks with a soft collar and then I started my physiotherapy for the entire year to get ready for the next season. <clears throat> Holy. Yeah. Wow. So it was it was a really tough year. And I, I was I was disappointed and so was the team, right? I just signed it's a two year deal and you know they're gonna miss me for the entire year. And that's I'm sure they were frustrated, but what can you do that's hockey and injuries occur, but you still feel bad, mm-hmm. right? You don't yeah, feel bad you're pulling your weight or filling your obligation of your
0: contract. Wow, that is uh, that's pretty intense. Well, I'm glad that you were. Uh, I mean, you always hear about injuries, and I think you know, I think a lot of times people just look at athletes as like the guy on your computer in your fantasy league, and they're not real people. So, I'm just really happy that you're able to live your life after something like that, you know, because the back is you fuck up your back that could be life altering and that uh, i'm glad that you're able to be fully
1: functional yeah absolutely and, and even just lucky enough to go back and be able to play pro hockey again yeah. you know that's with that serious of an injury a doctor could say no way mm-hmm. right yeah. and you wouldn't blame them but yeah everything turned out i had excellent ther- physiotherapists and i think i was working with one of the guys with the brewers and he was fantastic Mm-hmm. He was a really sensational physiotherapist, so he got me back into shape, strengthened everything back up, and uh, the fusion took, so the doctor was gave me the green light to go back and play. That's
0: excellent. Well, you mentioned Kurt Fraser. Obviously, as you might imagine, I'm a I'm a big fan of his. I was a fan of his as a player. Love him as a coach. We're fortunate enough to have him here as an assistant on the island for a while. Uh, What was it like, and obviously you were only with him for for, uh, a short time, you know, as a player, you got hurt. Uh, Just talk about Kurt as a coach and just his presence there.
1: Well, I think the way he played uh, is the same intensity that he brought as a coach. Uh, He expected the best out of his players. He expected hard-nosed hockey players, and didn't matter if you were a skilled player, but he still expected you to play the game a certain way at a certain level with uh, tenacity for the puck and uh, that willingness to pay the price to win for your team. So no, no surprise, right? That yeah. <laughs> his personality as a player, you know, stemmed over directly as a coach. So yeah, he obviously a longstanding career in the, in the NHL and that's why he's a very personal guy and, you know, had good systems, ran good practices. I really liked Kurt, and it was uh, unfortunate we just couldn't gel in the second year. And I think he uh, he was fired, and they brought in Don Don McAdam there, I think, for the uh, second half of the year.
0: And uh, Kurt had an assistant named Peter Bukovic, who a lot of people may not know, but he he played physical as a player. He he spent. I think he got a few games with Vancouver, and uh, I believe he played some in Milwaukee. Did you get to know Peter at
1: all? Yeah, no, Peter was an integral part of the team as well. Yep. And I think his, uh, I'm not sure, like when you say the Vancouver, because Milwaukee was split there for a while. You know, the IHL yep. teams mm-hmm. when they were starting to come into the league. They started, uh, which was very smart on the NHL teams financially, yeah. to split the costs and split players. And then they're not even putting, you know, 55 guys under contract. They're putting maybe 35 guys under contract. And filling those teams with half, half and half. Um, Of course, there would be conflicts with maybe ice time and who's supposed to get the most. And mm-hmm. what systems do you use, right? Because if you're calling guys up, they want to be familiar with their NHL teams uh systems and forecheck and penalty kill and power play and all that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can see where the financial side of it was very appealing to the NHL team. So, yeah, Peter... I'm, I, he might have made that connection. Mm-hmm. He might have played in Milwaukee prior with, when Vancouver was there, and that made him stay yeah, potentially. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he was a really good coach, and, you know, they, they were a good one-two punch uh, behind the bench, those guys. So again, I don't know. I know you
0: were there for the entire training camp in the first and the first game. Uh, a couple of names I just want to throw out at you yeah, um, all all three guys spent some time in the NHL as well so people may know their names. Uh, first guy's Kenny Sabrin, another big defenseman.
1: Yeah Kenny. Kenny was uh, he's a big boy, a mm-hmm. strong guy, but he kind of lost that will to fight mm-hmm. and he was challenged on the ice. I mean I remember even in uh, Milwaukee. I might I might have been the year I was hurt, and Dodie Wood in Kansas City literally laid his gloves on the ice in front of the bench and was like, "Come on, mm-hmm. Ken wouldn't take him on." And and I think his reputation suffered quite a bit um, having you know being a big guy and being physical. Yep. when you hit guys, guys aren't going to like it all the time, and he was going to be challenged. So I, I know he didn't have the respect of the guys that. You know, played hard mm-hmm. just because he was unwilling. I think he heard a guy fighting, and it kind of changed his viewpoint on fighting. Yeah, and so he just he didn't really drop the gloves a whole lot that year and the following year. uh One guy who did drop the gloves quite a bit throughout his career was Richard Zemleck. Yeah, <laughs> Richie, great going, you know, great teammate. Lots of fun in the dressing room. Definitely. Bled for his teammate, right? He was, yeah. he was one of those guys that were the gamer. And if he saw an injustice on the ice, he'd be the first one uh, dropping his gloves or getting in there to protect a teammate. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was, he was definitely a really really good teammate and enjoyed, enjoyed playing with him.
0: And uh, the last guy is someone who I got to watch play here on the island for a little bit. And after, after he left the Islanders, he spent some time in Milwaukee. He had a long career uh, in the lower minors, too, and that's Hank Dale Henry. Oh, okay. You know what? I actually thought you were going to ask me about Don Gibson. He, oh, I was. He's on here too, but Hank, because he has the Islander connection, uh, I was going to ask you about Hank.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, he was a big, a big, broad-shouldered man, right? Just kind of, kind of, had that farm build where yep. natural, natural strength, hard guy to knock off the puck. Still good hands, good shot. So he definitely found the back of the net and certainly could get in the corners and uh, knock guys around.
0: Very hard head too. Very hard head. <laughs> Ask Jacques May out about his head. He headbutted him in a brawl in the American League. Uh, very, very underrated uh, thickness of his cranium. So <laughs> And and what about Donnie Gibson? What do you remember about Don?
1: No, so I thought Donnie was a very tough guy. Like he he had big right hand. He was, he was in really good shape. He was he was strong. And uh, yeah, when he got his right arm going, he was a pretty tough character.
0: Uh, how was it? So you're 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 coming back from the injury. Were you ready to go uh, for ninety four, ninety five for training camp? Or were you were you ready to go, or did the uh, the rehab sort of uh, seep into next season?
1: No, I was good to go. I jumped right out of the gates. I had you know an, I, like an entire year. Like you know, when it was September to September. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the surgery took place maybe maybe about six weeks by the time the MRA, you know, diagnosed what was really going on. So I might have had the surgery uh, middle of October, late October. But uh, it was definitely enough time for the healing to to mend and my physiotherapy to get me back into shape to play. So I came back with, you know, full of vengeance. Like I was, that was a long time to be off for an athlete. And uh, yeah, I was, I was raring to go when that season came around
0: yeah, I was gonna ask you about that because obviously you're you're chomping at the bit to get back. You're like a you know the cage line ready to go. Um, but also sometimes with certain people you coming back from a serious injury like that. was there any hesitation as well to to throw a big hit or did you want to get that big hit out of the way?
1: Well, training I mean training camp provided that and even like skating prior to training camp with guys and and I would test it um and i just never felt like there was ever a setback or you know a tweak that would be like oh boy what was that that you know that hurt there was none of that the only thing i might have gotten once in a while was what they call stingers or zingers and so that nerve pathway that was affected sometimes just fired like a lightning bolt and you, and it just and it wouldn't be because of contact i could just be sitting at the table eating And it just, you know, those nerve pathways start to refire. And uh, that was about the only side effect I really felt that I had. And those eventually kind of went away. Um, But no, in training camp, I felt great. And I was really good to go. Uh, That year, uh,
0: you were reunited with Martin Simard. You you spent some time with him in the Quebec organization. And you also uh, were joined by a guy who I think played a a few seasons down in Milwaukee. And that's Dave Mackey.
1: What do you remember about Mackey? (sighs) Yeah, and we—I think we talked about it in part one of the the uh, interview—is that, you know, he played a handful of games in cam loops mm-hmm. when I yep. was there, and i i, I didn't remember that in, yeah. until I it up. Yeah. And so, yeah, Dave—Dave Dave was a bit, again almost like that Dale Henry, yeah, style player, right? Big, big, broad-shouldered, big guy. Got in the corners, half-decent hockey player too, right? Could score some goals yep. in front of the net so yeah yeah dave dave was a good hockey player and then i gotta put out a a big uh tip my hat to uh my d partner brad warenka that year brad and i are both alberta boys another and... Kamloops
0: guy right uh
1: oh. oh no
0: he was uh he was um in the ford i think you played with him
1: no that was darcy warenka oh okay okay Different Warenka. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then I played, yeah. So Brad Warenka came from two hills, Alberta, maybe three hills, Alberta. <laughs> I huh. think they two Anyways, yeah, uh, he Brad was a highly skilled player, played a lot of games in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And uh, him and I were yeah, you know, we were roommates, we were good friends, and uh played well together as a as a D pairing. Now um
0: you came back, you played 63 games that year, you had a handful of scraps. Your first one, I believe, was with Eric Levine of Phoenix. Uh, you came in to defend Brian Dobbin. From what I remember, he was giving Dobbin a hard time. You came in to uh, Brian's aid. And similar to what I asked you about with the hitting, did it feel good to get the first scrap under your belt? Because uh, obviously, uh, we talked about it with a guy like Sergio Barrage, and in any fight, you're twisting and turning. That's all ab- abdominal stuff. It's all back stuff. Did it feel good to get the first one under your belt and say, okay, I'm back, I'm good, I'm not worried about my injury?
1: Yeah, for sure, because obviously playing and hitting and, and leading shoulder first or elbow first or stick first is a whole lot different than chin first. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, the head's connected to the neck, and if you think, hey, if I take a good shot, what what's going to happen to my neck, right? So that that fusion, you're thinking and hoping, obviously, and praying that that's going to hold up to that kind of contact and uh, physical you know, punishment. So yeah, you're, you're right, it was a, it's a good point, it's a good question that uh, I did feel good, and especially we talked about, especially even uh, jersey pulling, and, with, and pulling on your neck, and there's a lot of strain there to keep your, your head upright and see where you're throwing punches, so, you know, fighting was a whole different dynamic than playing, and you're right, once that first fight was out of the way, I felt, okay, great, nothing, no side effects, no minor injuries out of it, and uh, it's kind of, yeah, Kind of good to feel that that it was an out of the way and um, back to normal.
0: Now, one of the articles I found when I was researching this, it was from a, a Peoria newspaper, so it's obviously going to have the Peoria slant on it, and uh, they were very critical of you because apparently uh, there was there a stick incident that you had with Ian Lapierre. And, uh, of course, they made you sound like the big bully and uh, Ian was just the unwitting victim. But I think anyone that has seen Ian play, uh, we know he's a feisty guy and everything. I I would imagine he might have had something to do with it. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you said about, you know, worrying about my neck. Mm -hmm. And really what instigated that was it was, an. And you know, I respect Ian. He was a tough guy. He fought a lot of guys, played a lot of games. But he was dirty. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, he would, he'd get his cheap shots in kind of, he was that kind of player and it it aggravated guys. And this particular play was an offside play. The whistle had gone. So guys had kind of chilled and he slew footed me. Oh shit. Okay. And, and I went down hard. Mm -hmm. And when you go down backwards and you're trying to protect your neck and you tense up to like, not have your head hit off the ice. Yeah. So well, I think I was down on one knee and he swung back around to like kind of laugh at me. And I Tom, I, I, I swear to God, I tried taking his head off with my stick. Mm-hmm. I would irate. And I'm like, you're going to do a cheap shot like that. And I've had that neck surgery. I'm like, I will not tolerate it. Yeah. And I yeah, tried to decapitate him. And then I tried fighting him, but I think the linesman got in, but he went down after I swung my stick. Cause I was, I was be- beside myself with that movement that he pulled
0: pretty funny that article in the peoria newspaper didn't mention the slewfoot. Uh, yeah <laughs> it's funny how that happens of course, yeah. of course. <laughs> uh there were a few guys you fought that year all all with uh certain reputations to a certain degree uh the ones that i found i don't have any video on uh one was against jerry st cyr which you sent the, sent me the picture of uh one was against mark major and uh, one was against uh, someone we got unfortunate news about this past week, Todd Gillingham, uh, who was with Chicago. I don't know if any of those fights ring a bell
1: to you. Yeah, I remember. I remember the St. Cyr one because of that picture. It happened right yep. in front of the net. A uh, small, smaller guy, but strong, yeah. right? How to, knew how to tie guys up. Uh, difficult to fight. Uh, definitely got at least, like, especially that one punch you could see in that picture. At least I got a, I pulled a good uppercut off. Yeah strained him out and then i was able to kind of get myself loose so it was a good fight um bruce major was it bruce major or mike major mark major mark mark with
0: the big uh handle not handlebar mustache the fu manchu yeah
1: he had just come up and i do you know what i do have video of that one okay okay i was sent video of that fight and he had just came up from i think the east coast league okay so i i think he was trying to maybe set himself in the lineup and try to maybe he might've been on a three game PTO, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I think he was trying to set a name for himself. So I went and you know what? I had him out where I wanted him and I started throwing and he was like, Oh, I don't think I want to do this. <laughs> so he changed his tactic up and he, he grabbed on pretty tight and it was just became a wrestling match. And he, we went over to the boards and we both went down and then he tried kneeling on my face with his knee and I was like, yeah, I'm like, come on. like, Yeah. Yeah. You you didn't want, you didn't want to exchange toe to toe, but now you want to play UFC. But, uh, that's, that's all that happens, I guess, in the fight game. Right. Mm -hmm. You find yourself, uh, before
0: the end of, right. I guess the end of the season you're traded to Kalamazoo reunited with uh, a coach that we've already talked about that, that you love and respect Ken Hitchcock. Um, is that a situation where they, did they come to you and ask you about that? Or were you, were you
1: surprised by the trade? No, I wasn't surprised by the trade because I was, I wanted to kill Don McAdam, our coach. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> Elaborate. <and it's, laughs> it is, it is, it kind of comes around full circle with our, the first part of this interview, Joe, is that, you know, he was in the Euler organization. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he was coaching Cape Breton Oilers. Ivan Matulik was playing for him. Okay. And what happened was, I think Ivan came to our team on a three-game pro tryout. And I was like, hey, brother, don't spend any money on a hotel, whatever. Stay with me. And once Don McAdam, and Don McAdam had it out for Ivan in Cape Breton. Mm -hmm. And once Don knew I was friends with Ivan, the relationship was done. Jeez. And so my ice time suffered. He'd chew me out for goals that were scored against the team that were, I wasn't even close to the reason why <clears throat> the, the goal was against. I remember one game in particular, a puck bounced over behind the net, and it got rimmed around. And Gino Cavallini went to come back to get it on the, on the right wall, and he tripped. And he blew a tire and he just fell and it went back to the D-man. The D-man took a shot and they scored. Mm -hmm. And Don thought it was all my fault. (laughs) So we had it out in the dressing room in between periods. And it was a volatile um, relationship. Mm -hmm. And he just, he picked on guys. Uh, A prime example, you want to talk about a funny story. Jim Harivnak. Mm -hmm. Now you look at Jim's statistics that year. He was the top goalie in the IHL. He was playing phenomenal for us. And once Don McCadden came in, he decided to bring Mark LaForest in, a goalie that had played for him privately mm-hmm. previously, and he started screwing around with Jim's head, telling him he was in at the pregame skate. Then at game time, no, you're out, Mark's in, and just started screwing around with him. And it just totally messed up, Jim. And Jim was like, well, screw you. Yeah. Then trade me. Like, I'm not playing for you. You're a jackass. And that's kind of, that's kind of the games that Don played with me as well. Yeah. I started g- getting sat, started getting pulled out of the lineup as a healthy scratch. And I was like, okay, I, why is this happening? It's only it, there's, there's a reason why here. There's a personality conflict. It's not my play. Right. It's like, this guy's got a bullseye out. So we traded Jim. And can't even remember who we brought in. Might have might have just traded him for something else, not even a goalie, because he decided to go with Mark Laforest. Right. And not not to say that Mark wasn't capable. Nothing against Mark. Yeah. But he just screwed Jim Haribnack out of an unbelievable season right. that he was having. So we played Jim. I can't even remember what team he ended up on. And Jim comes to us under the corridors, and he's like, "Boys," and Jim could rip the puck. Mm-hmm. He goes, watch me in warm-up. <laughs> we're like, okay. So Don McAdam's standing on the bench, and he's making his notes and line up their side, blah, blah, blah. And Jim grabs the puck, and he zings it and nails him right in the chest. No almost shit. Oh, and almost knocks him out. He hit him so hard, square in the chest. And, I mean, we knew it was coming. Yeah. And we were like, well. You treat a guy like that, you know what? There's your payback. And it was a a pretty unbelievable karma moment that you don't see or hear very often, that kind of story. But, yeah, Jim Jim could fire the puck from one end to the other, fully in the air. He could put it over the glass. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he smoked him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) So I'm going to guess that this trade – was a, uh, a welcome trade on your part to go to Kalamazoo, a team headed to the playoffs with a coach that you know appreciate
1: you. 100%. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in San Diego. It was funny. Brad and I were in the room, got the phone call. Phil Whitliff said, yeah, you're going. And so Brad and I were like, well, let's make a day of it. And so we went and, went and rented a five-liter Mustang convertible, drove I think it was a day off. And we, they didn't, they didn't need me to, you know, hop on a plane that day. So we, uh, yeah, went out, had a few beers, went to a nice restaurant on the coast, said goodbye to each other. And I flew out the next day and started it in Kalamazoo.
0: That's excellent. So, um, obviously I, before we go any further, I have to say that, uh, I got to ask you about a good friend of mine that you played with, Dave Chazowski, who I know uh, from what I've heard, you guys have known each other a very long time. And um, for for those of you who who um, don't know, I, I had a show prior to this called Coliseum Chronicles, um, same sort of show, just with the Islanders. And uh, Dave was one of the best guests that I had, so I urge you to go check that out. But uh, but give me uh, give me your best Dave Chizowski story from any time. <laughs>
1: Oh, I don't know. was uh, So where we crossed paths first was my billets in uh, Kamloops would even help uh, bring young guys in even just for training camp purposes. So Dave was 16 years old and Hitch wanted him on the team, I think, at that time. But it was just a little bit of a taster. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dave and June put him up in the house. And so that's when I first met Dave. And he was uh, one of those, you know, special talents, the 100-mile-an-hour shot back in the day. Uh, big, strong boy, could handle himself and could skate and shoot, do it all, right? That's why he went so high in the draft. And very unfortunate, I think we mentioned this, so just <clears throat> maybe texting or something, but just unfortunate that day was, you know, had so much pressure on him in that Islander or, or, or organization. I think the expectations were so high, and they were maybe unreal, unrealistically high. Yes, they were. Yeah, uh, he just couldn't. He couldn't cut it there.
0: No, and and the thing I always say to people is, if you look at Dave's numbers everywhere he went after the Islanders, his numbers are phenomenal. Like, and it's not even that he's he's putting up goals, assists, he's putting up penalty minutes. Like he he was really after after he left here, everywhere he went in the minors because he got a cup of coffee with Chicago, but for the most part in the minors, everywhere he went, he's playing first, second line, he's playing penalty kill, he's power plays his numbers are phenomenal. It was just, it was just an unfortunate situation that he ended up here. And, you know, I'm glad that he actually continued his career and did really well. And, um, you know, and that's something we, we, him and I talk about in the interview and he really opened up a lot. And uh, as, as goofy as he is uh, the interview was one of my favorite ones that I did with him. So.
1: Yeah. And I just saw a post on LinkedIn there. He just started a new job. Uh, I think it was in Dearborn, uh, Ford, out in uh, on, uh, Vancouver. And uh, <clears throat> you know Dave, he's got the big old sm- smile, the big heart, and uh, he's got all the character in the world. So selling cars, I think, is <laughs> more money doing that than playing hockey, for, for God's sakes.
0: <laughs> and uh, I think he's been employee of the month, two months running. So, uh, so he's definitely the salesman.
1: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. He's a character.
0: Oh, another guy you played in Kalamazoo, um, uh, this guy, I just think he's he's an unbelievable player, had a really good NHL career. Um, another guy, I think he had a broken neck in junior, was Grant Marshall.
1: Yeah, uh, and boy, Grant, for his size, boy, was he tough. Yeah, He could throw both hands, and I tell you, he had big mitts on him, and he was a gamer. And yeah, I, I, you know what, I never knew that, Joe, that he broke his neck, but um yeah grant was a warrior on the ice good skills yeah Good drag good shot and uh man he mucked it up he was not as afraid of any physical contact on the ice and it showed and he continued on in the nhl i think with jersey and dallas i yeah. think oh, did he not and yeah dallas was
0: was his big you know made his bones with dallas there and then uh in jersey i think he won a cup with the devils if i'm not mistaken so
1: yeah, and he's that kind of character, right? That you want to, he's just going gonna to bleed for the team every every day and every every game, every practice.
0: So you step out of a really bad, volatile situation in Milwaukee and you step into a team that's just about to go on this playoff run. Uh, you played uh, the Wolves first, you swept them 3-zip, you beat Cincinnati 4-2, and you ended up losing 4-3 to Kansas City. Uh, talk about that playoff run. Talk about what you remember about that.
1: Oh man, it was, it was heartbreaking because I believe the seventh game at home went to overtime. I'm, I might be mistaken, but I might've been on the ice and I think it hit me in the backside like of my pants and deflected in. Oh God, no shit. Yes. And so it was like, it was a goal that should have never went in complete luck. A uh, great series, no doubt. Like hard, yeah. hard series, but I literally felt we deserved a better fate, and we should have been in the Turner Cup final that year. That was really disappointing. Yeah.
0: Now, was there an opportunity to go back to uh, Kalamazoo, uh, you know, next season, or was was uh,
1: the opportunity to go to Cincinnati just uh, something you'd want to pass up? Yeah, I think that was just more of an agent thing. I'm not really sure like what transpired with Dallas, whether they were happy with their D or nothing transpired in the way of an offer of a contract. Um, yeah, we had a good run, but it might have been the number of defensemen they had already within the organization, so it might have been tough to return. Mm-hmm. Hitchcock wanted me for that playoff run, mm-hmm. and maybe Dallas was like, well, great, it helped you out, but we have enough D in the organization, right? Um. Well, I was going to say, the reason why I, you know, for people
0: that don't know, the reason why I said the opportunity to go to Cincinnati was because we, we spoke about Ron Smith already. And I know how much you like playing for Ron Smith and how respected he was. So that's what I meant by the opportunity to go there.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm just kind of adding in that maybe it was, you know, no offer on the table. Right. Okay. Dallas. But obviously, <clears throat> you're right. With the history of Ron watching you kind of sitting through the summer. And watching the guys that are starting to sign contracts, Chris Jahockey, Mark LaBelle, Jeff Greenlaw, uh, Brian. Uh, uh, was Haw-
0: Hawkins there already or did he sign too?
1: Yeah, Todd. I don't know if he signed or if he was already there. Okay. But Todd Hawkins and then uh, McTod- Todd, Mc- Todd McDonald. Is that his first name?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I do remember Todd McDonald.
1: Right. He was an ex-Binghamton Ranger and Donnie Biggs. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, was my, no, Mike Stevens didn't go. But there was enough guys, and they were good hockey players. Yeah. Right? And uh, <clears throat> the goaltenders were there, Danny Lorenz and Freddie Shabbat. So, yeah, lots of talent and definitely uh, worthwhile signing, knowing that you're going to have a good lineup with a great one-two punch because it was both – you know, Ron Smith and Al Hill again at the helm. Did you, uh, do you remember who you played with there? Did you
0: ever play with Eric Dandano at all? I would imagine that you two guys playing in the same D pair would be uh, pretty formidable. Yeah. Eric lived with me for a bit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't want to come down either side if if I was a winger.
1: Yeah, I know. And Eric was one of those guys. Like he, 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 I think he got called up. He was looking to make the lineup. And I said, yeah, come stay. I've got room, right? Don't stay in a hotel. I, I hate seeing guys stay in a hotel. I want them to eat good food and have a place to you know, call home and stuff like that. So I, I open my door to guys like that all the time. But, uh, yeah, Dandel was super tough guy, good hands, good skater. Definitely surprised he didn't have a little more long standing career in the NHL. But, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely a tough kid, without a doubt, and really, a really good teammate.
0: Well, speaking of tough, and, and you and I have spoken about him already, and we discussed him when you fought him in the American League, and now you're, you're sharing a locker room with Mark LaBelle. Uh, talk about playing with Beller. You know, I told you he's one of my favorite players ever. Uh, what was it like having him as a teammate?
1: Yeah, Beller was a great teammate. He, was, I mean, he, he liked to party. He liked to have fun. He was a single guy, right? I know him and Greenlaw were both, both pals, and uh, <laughs> yeah, they stirred things up definitely on and off the ice. But Beller was a just a hard-nosed guy, right? And, and by the time, you know, I fought him there in, where was that? Was that Freddie? Freddie, that... yeah, Freddie. Mm-hmm. And Freddie, you know, he's a much bigger guy. He's a much older guy. He's put some pounds on. He's put some knowledge on for fighting and playing the game. So he's a better hockey player. He's a better fighter. <clears throat> so a really great, you know, great winger to have. Mm-hmm. He's going to go in there and just bust guys up and get the puck out to the more skilled guys. But you know, he still had a really good shot, and, you know, give him a chance to put the puck in the net, he, he could he could pot it in sometimes
0: too. Now, in uh, late November of 95, now, I don't know how many of these you had, but you had a two-goal game against the Chicago Wolves, and apparently um, you have some sort of goal celebrations that you like to do. Uh, I, I don't know. They didn't give me – I didn't see any details, but I did read that you had some pretty interesting goal celebrations. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. didn't score many, so I might as well have made it worth my while. Right. Yeah, I think they, they nicknamed me uh, Lamplighter. There. I was just
0: going to ask you that. Is that the game where you got the nickname Lamplighter?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think I'd maybe scored a couple goals prior to that, you know, not in the same goal uh, game, but things are going good for me, and their puck was going in the net. So, uh, yeah, the guys coined the nickname Lamplighter, and, There was articles in the paper about it. And I was saying, you know, bring your lighters and yeah, (laughs) whatever. The red light behind the net isn't the only one we have to light up in the stadium. So bring whatever you want.
0: Another nickname you had, and uh, I I don't know, I hesitate to ask this, but uh, Swamp Thing. And uh, sometimes that was shortened to Swampy. Uh, Where does that come from?
1: Yeah, that came from Paul Izebart in Utica. Okay. So... Paul was like he was everything was like marsh or mush or marsh and marshy and he's like, well swamp is the same thing. Swampy's way better than marsh. So yeah, swampy swampy was turned in back then. So and and obviously guys I'd played with um in Binghamton, you know, that carried forward too. So <clears throat> swamp thing usually when things got nasty too. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you say swampy, it could
0: mean any number of things. So I'm glad that's uh, that's what it was. Um, there was a game against Houston where Paul DiPietro ran Danny Lorenz, and uh, you roughed up uh, Pietro a bit. And um, you had a great view of the Danny Lorenz and Troy Gamble bout, if you remember that. And then later in the game, you were challenged by Graham Townsend. And I'm guessing, you know, the kind of guy Graham is, and the kind of player he is that was in response to you roughing up DPHO, is it not?
1: Yeah, no, you know what? I remember that game quite quite uh, vividly. And there's a funny story in regards to that fight, too, with Graham Townsend. So <clears throat> it was a rough game. And, yeah, both teams got hit. So I don't know if you want to say feet got hurt, but that's the one thing that's going to set a hockey player off, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to defend your goaltender. So... Yeah, it, it got nasty that game. And, uh, you know, it's funny Pietro is, he's quite <laughs> sure I ended up playing with him and one of the funniest guys off the ice I've ever met. But Graham, he dumped the puck in on the net. So I turned to go back for it and my goalie had stopped it. So I was faking my goalie. And he's already got his gloves off. So <laughs> and I And I, he like, he basically jumped me. Yeah. And, and you know, that's going to set a guy off. Mm-hmm. So finally got turned around, got a hold of him, fought. And I was, I was like, I just thought it was cheap. I thought it was, I was, that's not the way you fight a guy, like square off. And I think his, his mindset was, well, I, I better get a good start here because I know who I'm tying in with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as the linesmen were breaking up, I know that this was used for linesmen's, uh, like their, their graduating class mm-hmm. to be used in the summer on how not to have things go. Because <laughs> the one guy still let me free enough. Mm-hmm. And when the, the, the second, the instant that occurred that my right arm was free. I hauled off and teed off on him on one good shot, mm-hmm. and then the refs were like, "Oh, geez, we got to get a better hold of these guys and control the situation." So, I was told by the linesman that that particular fight was used in their their training that that next summer,
0: when when a player like yourself who who dropping the gloves is part of your uh, repertoire sees the goalies go at it you got Troy Gamble and Danny Lorenz I mean and you're right there you're on the ice watching it like did you get goosebumps do you get fired up because you know goalies aren't supposed to fight and especially like Danny Lorenz I remember him from his days in the Islander organization good guy I'm sure he was well liked and uh, it's got to fire you up when you see when you see the goalies drop them a little bit especially when they swing a little bit and they're not just dancing
1: well it's definitely a rare occurrence right, right. so it does get teams fired up because <clears throat> you know, you're there to use you to protect your goalies mm-hmm. and then they're out swinging away and uh, trying to rip heads off. So yeah, they were both probably even sized guys. I know gamble was a little bit more kookier than Danny. I yeah. had a little snippet of time with uh, Troy when we went over to Europe mm-hmm. on a 10 game tour okay. after our first year. So they, they sent it. I think three New Jersey devils and about four or five Vancouver guys. Oh, okay. So they were trying to, Kurt Klein endorsed, um, organized this. So what he was trying to do was get college players that weren't invited to training camp, didn't have contracts. He was trying to get them at the end of the year, a contract in Europe since they started so much earlier. So what Jersey said is they called us and they were like, well, we'll pay for it. You guys want to go? And they are like, we want you to work on your skating, get it on the international ice surface, go play games. No brainer, obviously. Yeah. yeah I'm going to go to Europe and have some fun. And so, yeah, I think uh, Troy Gramble was part of the Vancouver guys. They, they used up pro guys. So Kurt was obviously connected to Jersey. Mm-hmm. He ran it by Lou Lamorello. And I think he had to get a connection in Vancouver. So... Mm-hmm they filled up maybe eight spots with uh minor league guys to go over there oh, and i was 20 years, yeah i was 20 years old i was like let's go let's go have yeah, a blast absolutely.
0: yeah you get to see europe and play hockey not too bad mm mm-hmm, no doubt uh there was a player on that houston team who who i know pretty well and um and he he weighed in on this uh, steve jakes a physical defenseman uh who also is a western league grad and uh, he had, he had weighed in. He said, Marsh was always a big figure in my eyes because of his role with those Kamloops teams that played the Bruins the two years before I played. Then I played against him in Binghamton. Then again against Cincinnati. fought him in Cincinnati. I never wanted to get near him because he was a scary man. So I said, he's a teddy bear. And he goes, no, not on the ice he wasn't. And he said, I looked up his YouTube fights and I'm convinced I dodged a bullet by not making him mad when we were on the ice together so i thought that was pretty cool because you know steve jakes played physical he didn't shy away from anyone so i I thought that was a pretty good compliment to tell you
1: (laughs) yeah for sure Uh, yeah that's nice if you talk to him again tell him pass on a big thanks appreciate it
0: well he'll he listens so he'll definitely hear that so uh we I, i know you mentioned patrick cote and uh this year uh I I think you fought him twice. This was the first year, and he broke your nose. And and when you mentioned him, it didn't seem like you had a ton of respect for him, unless I read that wrong. Uh, What happened in
1: that fight? Yeah, well, it was uh, beside the net, and there was a big kind of kerfuffle, and Dale Kushner was on the ice. And, you know, we've already talked about that, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Dale and I were kind of squaring off. We were kind of finding our space on the ice, and I thought, okay, well, we fought a couple times before. Here we go. And, you know, you know, other fighters are on the ice, not a big deal. And Patrick Cote suckered me from the side. I Shh. had no idea he was coming in. Mm-hmm. And literally the guys on the bench, the crack of my nose, they thought he hit my helmet. Fuck. Jesus. So like, like, so I turn, I grab him. I've got literally two pouring streams of blood coming out of my nose. Can't see. Eyes are so watered up and I'm just throwing punches basically blindly now to just try to get, you know, defend myself. And, uh, you know, I thought Patrick Cote is a, you know, he's a heavyweight guy, you know, um, absolutely no reason to pull that off. Mm -hmm. So totally lost all respect for him that, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I'm already looking at Dale. I'm already thinking of dropping the gloves and out of nowhere. I'm I'm blindsided. So he got me good there and so then I waited. We didn't play each other until like the next year and I was I was fuming. I couldn't I was just I saw a red man as soon as I saw him on the ice. So went over and got, got after it as soon as I can I could with him. Try to try to pay him back. How'd that go? Well, you know what I'd still say he won the fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, Again, that's the pull-away jersey and sleeveless guy, and you can't control him, you know, and it's, it's tough. It's a tough way to fight when a guy's got an arm free. So yeah. Yeah, he probably beat me again, but mm-hmm. what, what can I say? I wanted revenge, and he still got the better of me. Uh, this is the second
0: year in a row you went uh, – the team had a pretty long playoff run, uh, 17 games. You played in all 17 of them. Uh, you beat Atlanta 3-zip. You played Michigan. Uh, you beat them four uh, three, and then you lost to Orlando four uh, three. What do you remember about this playoff run? Oh my God, you bring it! You're
1: bringing up the daggers of my <laughs> the playoff runs. So you know what? Exactly like um, the Kansas City or the uh, Kalamazoo run. Mm-hmm. We're right there. We have a super strong team. I believe. Scott Thomas, I think they've pulled the goalie. Scotty Thomas is well over 30 goals. He's got it, you know, sniping for us, playing great. I think he misses an empty net goal. Bounces it off the side of the net, and they come down, and they score like a garbage backhand goal five-hole. I can't remember on Danny or Freddie, and... Mm -hmm. And we just had the better team. We we outplayed them, and we just we just couldn't win. It was just one of those things, right? I think it was a one nothing game, and just just a gut wrenching loss at home because we thought we deserved a better fate. Yeah, good luck
0: i'm sorry i keep it, I keep stepping on you there It, it just uh, to me it and i'm I'm thinking about this as you're talking it's the mentality of of an athlete who who hates to lose because the two playoff runs you went on you won two series in each playoff run and and you lost a heartbreaker in the third series, and the first thing you talk about is is the loss you don't talk about the wins that it took to get there it's just the hate to lose mentality and i think I think that's part of what you need what a person needs to get to that next level because you don't want to lose. You hate to lose. So you're winning all these games. You didn't even talk about that. You just went right to the loss. And I think that's a mentality that I, maybe not just in sports, but in, in life and in business for someone to be successful,
1: you don't want to ever be on that uh, losing end. Yeah. And it's a point even to make to your children.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Like, have that never die attitude, and somebody's always working harder than you, so you better be the hardest working person on your team yeah. and hopefully that you know promotes that amongst your, your teammates, hopefully it promotes respect, and hopefully it promotes success that no matter what level you're at so we, we move
0: on to your final year in Cincinnati, your final year in uh, in North America here uh, in you're reunited with an old uh, buddy from New Jersey, Miles O'Connor. Now, you both have have played significant amount of time in between the last time you saw each other. Uh,
1: was it cool getting back with Miles? Yeah, absolutely, Miles. Another Alberta boy, right? Mm-hmm. Right from California. And, uh, yeah, just a solid guy. Mm-hmm. You know, hard-working, tough guy, good skill set. Um, yeah, totally, totally appreciated playing. And, and, you know, a good buddy of mine, he's an artist. And, uh, he just did a, uh, uh a hockey book. Hang on. Let me, let me, it's right on the table here. Hang yeah, on. Go ahead. Where is it? Oh my God. Oh, ah, my wife put it away. Ah, these women, I tell you. So it's, uh, he's a, he's a caricature artist. Okay. And, um, he, he did the history of hockey in Cincinnati. Oh, wow. Okay. Get all the caricatures from back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, right up into current time, put, all our, put our Cincinnati Cyclone teams in there, and all the guys are done in character, and it's a great book. It's a really super cool book. Oh, wow. I, Send me the link. I'd like to buy it. Yeah, for sure. I'll take a snapshot. Okay. Yeah, for sure. And he's a local artist, and I'm still good friends with him. And another reason why I went back to Cincinnati for the, uh, the alumni get-together there that we talked about with the uh, – uh god were they the rangers there the uh indian hills rangers oh, okay okay mm-hmm. the cincinnati cyclones get together that's how that's how i got to know howie and that's how you got yep. connected right so mm-hmm. a funny story about howie so we'll get to that yeah i later. got howie on here uh, later
0: down the road uh what what was it like playing with tony Horachek? another guy who's been through the wars
1: yeah big boy right mm-hmm. big boy ex philly guy and uh yeah, like I said, we, we had such good hockey players come through the Cincinnati organization. I, I, I looking back at that book, even realizing like how many guys came through on our lineup. I didn't know we went through that many guys in a year. Mm-hmm. But the, Glenn Esau and Dale DeGray and Dwayne Joyce, and there's lots of good hockey players. Yeah. yeah Tony was one of them.
0: Uh, one guy who actually has Islanders ties that I actually met for the first time the other day. They had the alumni night here. Uh, Mike Stevens. What do you remember
1: about playing with Mike, who you eventually fought in Germany? Right. Yeah. And and so you know, and I've also got a mark down here too. In the '96-'97, that was when Paul DiPietro did join us. Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned him in that. that- squabble there against houston but yeah paul even joined us up in uh cincinnati and oh my god was he funny <laughs> <laughs> um yo know, mikey was a character uh always the brunt of most jokes in the dressing room mm-hmm. took him well just rolled off his back
0: yeah
1: and you know what a strong guy like obviously his brother's known for his yeah. strength nice right mm-hmm. but Mikey had strength too and he was a he was a skilled player you know he could put the puck in the net yeah yeah. And uh, I even got a I got a calendar from the year I played in Germany, like you know, an annual like just a calendar. Yeah. And two pictures, and one of them is me upending Mike. His feet are sky high at my head, <laughs> and he's feet flying. But you can clearly see it's both of us. Yeah. each Together. So yeah, it was kind of a cool picture to to get caught. Now as as I was
0: going over some of your fights from this year, you had a really good year fighting wise. I don't have all of them. Uh, a couple that I didn't have, I don't know if uh, if any ring a bell, these two were uh, Gaetan Royer, who was with the Indy at the time, and uh, my old pal Kerry Clark, who was with Orlando. If Either of those fights jump out at you for any reason.
1: Yeah, not the first one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the name doesn't ring a bell. I know the one with Kerry. This one, I remember because we were playing well, and it was kind of a chippy game, and Kurt Frazier was the coach right mm-hmm. yep. so <clears throat> kurt purposely sent Kerry out to fight me okay he had a cast on his hand mm. and he he like just in our tussling his his uh cast scraped my forehead okay so you do know, yeah yeah you know, glass i had like a raspberry after the game <laughs> just giant in her yeah for weeks after but i did catch Kerry with a good punch and i actually put him down with a good a good right hand so mm-hmm. i remember that distinctly and kind of walk into the penalty box and i think i might have even pointed at kurt like there you go you <laughs> wanted it you got it you know you sent him over for a reason but it didn't turn out too well uh
0: and then a, a couple of fights against grand rapage had a really nice scrap with darcy simon and you fought Bruce Ramsey, and it looks like you staggered him a couple of times. And he's a guy that, I mean, you, it looks like you called him a few times, but he, to his credit, he didn't go down. But it looked like you hit him with a couple of really, really hard
1: shots. Yeah, for sure. I do remember both fights. and But Darcy and I was two fights. Like, we were kind of pure. We, were, we had a hold of each other. We were mm-hmm. spinning. other. lost grip. I went across. Fell on my knees, got up and went to back go back at him, and too late the linesman got in the way, mm-hmm. so we got to rekindle the fight. Yeah, and yeah, the one against Bruce, yeah, I definitely got some good hits in and on him, but uh, again, you're right, give him credit, never went down and stood in and took it.
0: And of course, I have to talk about um, one of your one of your last fights. Yeah, the yeah, you your rematch with Surge. You fought a young Surge. But even fighting a young Serge is like fighting a veteran. He was so smart. And now you're literally fighting fighting Serge, playing back in Quebec, um, you know, and he was your teammate. But now, you're, you know, first time you fought him, you hadn't played with him yet. Second time you fought him, you had played with him. Was there any sort of conversation going on during the fight?
1: No, that wasn't
0: <laughs> in our style. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, now, where was he playing for that fight? He was with the uh, Rafals. He was in Quebec with the Rafals.
1: Quebec Or is it Sherbrooke?
0: So Sherbrooke was before. Sherbrooke was the AHL. This is the IHL when they, they were playing. Uh, they had the team back. They were only around for a couple of years. And they had Serge and Mario were on the team. Uh, they they brought in a bunch of veterans. So this was, you know, I'm sure he was very popular. I think they played in the Colisee. Yeah, I
1: was try- I'm trying to think. Yeah. I- remember the name of the team i i didn't think it they, was that
0: yeah they had like the snowman sliding down the mountain on their jerseys
1: yeah and you know what i do re- i do remember it because it was our last fight mm-hmm. um i was able to get my arm free and i did cut him uh above the eye and uh you know what we fought for again epically long because everything with sergio doesn't end quickly
0: uh, it's never easy
1: yeah, no, and it was it was a good fight, and we exchanged punches, and I think, you know, at the end of us, both of us, you know, gave each other that nod, like, way to go, good bout, right, good tilt. So
0: just as I said, you know, you took a path many of your your colleagues did going from the AHL to the IHL. Now you're run in the IHL maybe you didn't know it at the time is over. You end up in Germany. Now, did you have options to stay here stateside or at that point where you're looking to just maybe uh, travel a little bit, play some hockey and see some other countries?
1: Yeah, you know, I think even conversation with Ron Smith at the end of the that year, the second year, he was just like, he's like, Dave, you know, what do you want to do? Where where do you want to be? Do you want to do this grind, this 80-game you know, busting your knuckles up, or you have talent, you're a good hockey player, everybody's jumping ship. So what happened, which opened the doors, and I, I don't think people remember this window of time, but Germany was restricted to two to three imports per team. Now, the year I went over, the only restriction they had was they had to have five German passport players per team well that's a whole different flip Mm -hmm. and that opens the door for everybody so you start seeing guys signing over there and they're signing for good money they give you a car they give you a place to live and you know you're not beating your body to death you're making good money playing i think the first year i played it was a 48 game schedule the second year i went back it was a 52 game schedule you played friday night and maybe Sunday, or you played Thursday and Saturday, two games a week, mm-hmm. travel was minimal, and the hockey was completely high-end. Mm-hmm. A bunch of high-skilled players from the IHL and AHL all jumped ship, mm-hmm. and it was just the timing was right. Near the end of my career, I put in 10 years in America in hockey league and IHL. I was like, why not? This sounds like a great opportunity.
0: What was Would you say the hockey was like the IHL, IHL caliber hockey?
1: I thought it was better. Yeah. And the reason I thought it was better was because <clears throat> not only were those five German passports, they were going to be the best German players they had, mm-hmm. which were highly skilled guys. Right. Let's, let's not undersell what Europe has to offer for talent. So you've got five great players already established there um and then you have this influx of highly skilled you know top scoring guys from the IHL and the AHL so I thought it was I wouldn't I don't want to say it was like all-star teams Mm -hmm. but I will say it was I thought it was a better it was a cut above a regular IHL or AHL The hockey was faster it was just it was faster and highly highly skilled especially on the international ice surface Uh, One of the players, and
0: it it seemed like you say, like with the passport thing, a lot of guys, a lot of these teams were made up of the top tier national players, but also a lot of North Americans. And one of the guys that you played with that year was a guy that I remember from the American League, another pretty big boy, John Van Kessel, who eventually was traded, I think. But before he got traded, what do you remember about playing with John?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great, that's a great name to bring up. John and I were good friends Mm -hmm. when we played. Actually, a really good connection we kind of had a this girl her name was Delia she owned a bar and she played nothing but hard rock music so John and I would always kind of go there and we'd request and I'd bring I'd bring CDs in she and she'd be more than willing to play anything we brought in cuz she loved new music mm-hmm. and so it was a place that John and I hung our hat at and you know had a few beers together and a few laughs and John and I got along really well he's he's a really really good person you know right from the, the heart of nova scotia yeah oh yeah
0: now i the only only info i saw i found from that year like i said was the fight you had with mike stevens uh i wasn't able to find any any uh other information so do you have any sort of memories from your time with uh, Dusseldorf?
1: uh well Dusseldorf was ran by you know we, we've we talked about quality of coaches mm-hmm. You know, Chris Valentine was the coach at the time. He had, he had had a very, quite a prolific scoring history in the German leagues and played for Dusseldorf for maybe 10 years, um, put up great numbers. And Chris was an unbelievable coach, ran a great practice, ran a great bench on the on, during game time, really respected him. He, he expected the best from everybody. Um, and it's funny, you don't, you. You didn't bring up a, I did have one fight in Dusseldorf. Now, the it might o- not, yeah, in, the
0: only one I found was Mike Stevens. So,
1: yeah. So, so what happened was, uh, we were, I can't remember the team we we're playing, but Zach Boyer had the puck mm-hmm. and he was coming around the bottom of the circle and he dumped it off in our own zone. Now, the puck had already gotten to about the blue line or out. And a guy ran Zach from behind. He didn't even know the hit was coming. Mm-hmm. It was cheap, and it was dirty. And it, it knocked Zach out. He had a concussion. He missed multiple games because of it. So I had just looked over my shoulder and saw the hit occur, circled back, challenged the guy. He was, he was my size. I think he was a Swede. Mm-hmm. Um, challenged him and I was like, I just wasn't going to let it go. Like it was too dirty of a hit. Right. So he finally obliged me and I grabbed him and I one punched him and knocked him almost out, but I closed his eye. Yeah. We played him two days later. He wasn't in the lineup because his eye was still shut. Yeah. And I didn't really have to uh, fight again because yeah. word traveled fast in the league. And it's just like, don't, don't make this guy mad
0: and uh, you'll be okay. I wish I had seen that one. That sounds like—I I, mean—I'm all for frontier justice, so that's a great story.
1: I think a lot of a lot of guys on the team, you know, they hear like, you know, you you were a tough guy and you know you could fight in North America, but when they finally saw it, they were like, "Oh, that's what they did." <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "Okay, we'll give you the—you got the golden crown. You are." The, <laughs> yeah, you're you're it. We don't need to know anymore. So it was, it was, but it established my, you know, again that that space uh, on the ice is, uh, it's good, it's good to have. And uh, how did you end up in Schwinnigan? I, you know what, I think Schwinnigan was a backdoor deal. Uh, I fired my agent over it. I wasn't happy. I would have loved to have gone back to Dusseldorf, but so the one thing I didn't know Is that agents kind of play both sides right mm-hmm. obviously and when you go to europe your agent has a european representation over there too now okay. my agent didn't tell me this because now you're paying two of them and i was like but i'm paying you you're my agent you're the one who's supposed to get me the contract right he, well no we you know there's a european side to this and so he does the legwork over there and I'm like, yeah, okay, great, but still more money out of my pocket. Yeah, of course. He, yeah, he didn't fill me in on that one, and I was pretty upset. And I ended up going to a team with Don McAdam as coach. Get out of here! <laughs> so, why do you think that rolled out? And, <laughs> Jesus. You know, there were some guys on that team that were so unprofessional; they would have rather drank all night and not practice the next day. And I tell you what, I started hitting guys in practice. I was so. <laughs> And I was just like, you guys can either be professional hockey players or come to work and do your job. Yeah. That's what i there for. I want to win. And uh yeah, I lost the respect for a lot of guys on that team. It wasn't it wasn't an enjoyable year. It wasn't it wasn't really the greatest way to end up. Oh. Um Yeah, that's that that's that's karma. Sometimes playing, the ball Unreal. bounces. Unreal. Yeah. Well, I was
0: gonna ask you about a few guys, but now I don't know if I want to. <laughs>
1: Well, go right ahead. You're going to tell the truth, that's all. All right. Uh, one guy who I
0: think you crossed paths with in, uh, in the Quebec organization, Andy Rimshaw.
1: Yeah, Rimmer was, you know what, Rimmer was a beast on the ice, man, yeah. just a big Ukrainian man that uh, big shot. Uh, I liked Andy. He was he was one of those guys that came to work. Mm-hmm. He did. He wanted to play, and he wanted to do well. And I think he had a pretty good year that year. He put up He put up pretty good numbers. And, uh, yeah, he just bull in a china shop, right, because European players, some of them can be pretty slight, uh, not really heavier set guys, and Andy carried weight, but he could still skate really well. So in front of the net, guys, just they couldn't touch him. Yeah, And he definitely could find the net uh, when the puck was on a stick. Uh,
0: another guy who, as soon as I hear his name, I, I think of his time in St. John's with the Maple Leafs. I think he was a mainstay there, is Guy LaHoo. Guy Gila I knew you were gonna ask him,
1: about it. yeah, because yeah. there was another French guy on our team, those two guys hung out. Uh God.
0: Let's see. You think and I'll
1: I'll check out the DB here. Yeah. Let's see. Guy was, you know what? He was. He was a consummate professional, showed up at work. Le Perrier, is that it? Dan LePerrier? Yeah, I thought, yeah. Was it wasn't Jason though, because Jason was in Milwaukee. Yeah, no, this is Dan Le Perrier. So yeah yeah Mm -hmm. him and daniel what they were two french peapods together they hung out they're both really nice guys you know nothing but good to say about them uh gee and i had lots of laughs in the dressing room he was a defenseman you know we're obviously competing for the same job but we kind of kind of both looked at each other like you know we're here to do the same thing and we just wish other guys were here to do the same thing and that's play
0: all right we're two for two i got two more guys i want to run by you uh, one is, uh, Manitoba boy, Rich
1: Chernomaz. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Chernomaz was, uh, and I remember him from the Salt Lake City Flint. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So I know, yeah, I played against Rich then. And I think Rich was the assistant captain and he was established, um, so the, what, what happened with the problem with that team was that the captain, Mark McKay, mm-hmm. was kind of in bed with the owner, so to speak. And so in the Russian, or sorry, the, the European leagues, if, if somebody establishes themselves on one team for a long enough period of time, he's going to get enough friends. And the social unit and the social circle that occurs outside of the ring can affect what's going on inside of the rink. Gotcha. So, you know, Rich, I think, did establish himself in those circles, but Rich still was a hardworking guy and still showed up to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Last one. Ian Fraser.
1: Ian Fraser?
0: Ooh. I don't, yeah. What position? He's a center. He, oh, I only play 15 games, so that might be why. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. that, that game
1: doesn't ring a Bill too much
0: okay he would have been the guy uh smoking darts after every period and before and after games that's a he played he played in capital district here played some games with the islanders actually played some games with quebec also and uh that he's a good guy and i always remember smoking cigarettes every chance he could get
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i don't know the 15 games i don't know if he was in lineup or hurt Right. But the name, the name doesn't like jump to the forefront of my memory of guys I played with.
0: All right. So now I'm assuming you decide it's time to retire from pro hockey or was that decision made for you?
1: Uh, you know what? It was I had like a squabble with a fan oh. uh, in uh, Schwenigan and there was a lawsuit. So it happened in a game like I went to swing my stick like he – they're throwing beers and they're all pissed off. They lost the game and blah, blah, blah. So I like just hit the, hit the bar where the guy's like hanging onto the railing. Yeah. So while over there, that's just, Oh my God, that's, that's, you know, criminal offenses. I kind of kick out. And so a lawsuit occurred and they were just like, you know what? It's the end of the year. The season's done. Just go back. But what happened was, Team Canada had word of it, and they were like, well, if you're done playing, then come play for us. Okay. I made a like a real last-ditch effort to get back home, mm-hmm. and I, I think I played some – I did some practicing, but they had a bunch of young guys, mm-hmm. and they were like, you know what, a little too late, the chemistry's not there, Blah blah blah, and they just—they're like, "Thanks for coming. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it." And kind of talk to the young guys about Europe, include them in about agents and what goes on, and be aware of what's what's happening, kind of thing. And and yeah, that was that was it. And as it turned out, things kind of um, dissolved between my my wife at the time, and it was a good time to move back home. Mm-hmm. And I started the process of getting on the fire department. It was really good timing. The hiring was happening at that time and it just fell into place that I went from one career to another and it was like, this is a smooth transition and firefighting. I probably as a, a person and my personality couldn't have picked a better career after hockey. Cause it's still a locker room, still guys, high percentage of guys. There's more females coming into the, the industry now. Mm-hmm. But when I joined, 21, 22 years ago, uh, you know, it was a great job. And there was so much fun to be had. It was still a locker room mentality at work.
0: It seems like a lot of guys, um, a lot of former players, especially some guys who, who did the same role. Like I know Mel anglestad, I believe is a fire fireman now. And uh, I know there are a few other guys. It's uh, is it. Just, I wonder if it's just the whole thing with the mentality you have. Like you say, you talk about the locker room mentality. But also the role that you played. One of the parts of the role is you're protecting people. You're protecting your teammates, and here you're. You, this is real life stuff, and you're protecting citizens from, you know, the potential worst case scenario.
1: I wonder if that mindset goes into it too. Yeah, I think it's a desire to help people.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: you know, not necessarily protect, but kind of to help. I yeah. think we said that as a part of my personality. It's how my mom and dad, you know, raised me to be. Um, I know that I had in Milwaukee, the, uh, the, the townhouse area that I lived in, the manager of the facility was a firefighter. Okay. So he had lots of days off, obviously as a hockey player, we have lots of Mm downtime, not many things off, but you know, you go to the rink and practice first thing in the morning, you have all afternoon and evening off. So I did a lot of socializing with him. You know, even in the Utica days, there was lots of uh, rangers and, and state troopers around doing security. You talk to those guys, you get to know them, you kind of get a feel for what those professions are like and what they're about. Um, my sister here in Edmonton was an uh, Edmonton police officer for 25 years. So I kind of know what that profession was about. You couldn't pay me a million dollars to do it. You know, I respect and honor what they do. It's uh, probably toughest way to uh, earn a living. We uh, we share that. My sister is also a retired police officer. Yeah, and yep. it, that's a tough gig. Yeah, absolutely. It, it doesn't matter where you are in states or Canada. It's mm-hmm. it's the most thankless job in the world. Oh yeah. You know, and it's dangerous. It's so it's so dangerous now that the the lack of respect for life that criminals have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we just had a, a gunfight here in British Columbia a week ago where two guys went in fully armed, full metal jackets, uh, semi-automatic rifles, five police injured, Finally, shot and killed both of these guys. But they went in, you know, arm, armed that way to do that kind of damage. And you just think it's a dangerous, dangerous world. And uh, yeah, the policing, I'm, I'm glad I didn't choose that route. Uh, firefighting is very dangerous, uh, at the same time, but I don't think it's the same environment that policing is. No. And, and, uh,
0: here, you know, I'm on long Island, but I work in the city every day and the city I mean, we could talk about this for hours. What New York City has become—it's just the Wild West again. It's—it's uh, it's awful. So I don't envy anybody that puts on the badge every day because that—you never know if you're coming home that day. And I know, you know, same can be said for firefighters too. Uh, but I—I I, I think it's different in a way. You, you know, you're as as a fireman, I, I, you know, and, and maybe I'm speaking out of school here. You're going to some—you're—you're you're fighting a firefight. That's what you do with these police officers. They're going to situations they have no idea what they're walking into. You, at the, the fire could be different degrees and uh, of severity. You're you're clocking in as a policeman that day, and you have no idea what you're walking into for the next eight hours.
1: Yeah, there there is a. I mean, you're. I, I agree with you, but at the same time, with firefighting here in Canada, like. We have, we, not my department, but smaller departments are uh, integrated with ambulance and fire. Okay. So, but 85% of our calls are medical. Okay. That also means that those are psychiatric calls as well. Yeah. I hear so, you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a scenario that's played out that sometimes there are safety alerts attached to these things. Yeah. And you might stage, you might wait for police, or you think, man, is somebody getting hurt? Right? Is there violence occurring? We got four pretty big boys on a fire truck.
0: Yeah,
1: we could probably disarm a guy not not with somebody with guns, but we don't want to see citizens get hurt. So right. there's an element that we're faced with. Even you know, fighting the battle of a fire is is a different dynamic. But yeah, the human element, the human element is the scariest one, especially on you know, like you said, with the police and what they do on a daily basis.
0: So you you talk about transitioning into into your career with the fire department, but you still have the itch to play hockey, and I see that you played uh, some—I don't know how many games, how many seasons—with uh, the Stony Plain Eagles. So how did that come about?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, there's so many good hockey players in Canada that are still at this level where senior men's hockey and if you look into the history of it, that's kind of where hockey began. Mm-hmm. You know, there were senior men's leagues and then all of a sudden professional leagues started to develop. But, you know, senior men's is kind of what started hockey in Canada. And the Allen Cup is older than the Stanley Cup. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's what you buy for in senior men's hockey across Canada. Mm-hmm. So the players are still very talented, very tough. Um, I think it was just, it might've been guys on the fire department that played out there, mm-hmm. guys that had heard that, Hey, this guy's back in Edmonton. He's a retired pro. Let's try to get him out there. Stony Plain has a very, uh, big history on being successful. Mm-hmm. I looked into it and, you know, I checked it out and the hockey was still great. I was still in good shape and it was appealing. And I think we went to maybe two or three Allen cup finals and uh, lost them all. <laughs> Double over times and just again, breaking, oh man, heartbreakers. But it was great hockey and I enjoyed it because it kept me physically engaged and it just it kept me playing. I, I love the game. I still play today and I like, like we were talking before we went on there, that um, I have the ability to play and I won't turn it down until the day I die.
0: Yeah, it's I just had to continue bringing up heartbreaking memories for you, so uh, it wouldn't be uh, even at senior hockey. Well, one of the guys you played with at Stony Plain, Paxton Schulte, okay? I reached out to Paxton I uh, asked him about yourself, and he said, um, nothing offhand other than I sharpen his skates regularly and he needs a shallower hollow. Please tell him that. He said, but his hair is always perfect when he comes in and his son is a goalie. So you need to feel sorry for him. Oh, and by the way, he smells, laughing my ass off. So, uh, so that was my second favorite comment I got. Obviously, uh, the story that we talked about when um, you know you kind of threw your your buddy there under the bus with the police at the golf course. Um, but uh, what do you have to say about Pax? There,
1: yeah, Pax is an absolutely uh, a beast of a man. I mean, his hands I think are twice the size of mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, thick dude. And yeah, he's here. He works in the same city I live in mm-hmm. for the local sports store. Fitting out my, Yeah, uh, he helped me fit out my, uh, my son Roman in uh, hockey gear this year and helped him out with everything. And Paxton's knowledgeable. He's continued to, you know, have that love for hockey and found a, a profession that's very related. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I see him lots. He sharpens my skates. He's always bugging me about um my hollow. <laughs> I think I think what Paxton meant to say was because I think he's more used to like being in a locker room and like being out on the farm around buffaloes and stuff like that. That yeah. I smell really nice, but okay. he doesn't think what smelling nice is. I understand stink Mm -hmm. it's probably because i've got some nice cologne or aftershave on and it's very offensive to his old factory senses Mm -hmm. so obviously it's gonna he's gonna think that's offensive and he says it stinks but Mm -hmm. he's missing the point and, and that's what a new age you know gentleman a gentleman actually smells like
0: i mean it makes sense but i think there's one thing that Pac should know your hair is absolutely perfect right now just so you know i can uh I could say that. So, Paxton, while I'm looking at him, his hair, it looks, is that gel or, uh, yeah, what, his hair is perfect right now. So,
1: uh, what's your secret? <laughs> I don't know. I have my mom's hair. I do. <laughs> my hair is years old. It's all white, but mine's getting there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's funny, uh, you, you know, we talked about hooking up with Ivan Matulik there, and yeah, we Skyped for, like, Two minutes, we had a miscommunication. He said, oh, I'm going to call you at nine. But he forgot about the hour change from Vancouver to Edmonton. So it was mm-hmm. 10. And he was already out the door doing stuff because I thought he was going to call me an hour earlier. Right. And uh, he looked. He's like, Jesus, you still look the same. He's like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And he's he's a little bit follically challenged now. <laughs> I resemble that remark. And. Uh, <laughs> And I'm gonna have I'm gonna have some fun with them when we uh, we hook up probably next week when we have some time to talk. <laughs>
0: oh my good! Well, I'm happy. I'm glad I build bridges here. So uh, so that's excellent. So let's talk about uh, how you hooked up with the Cincinnati Cyclones alumni. And and I thank him before all three of these episodes. I just want to thank Howie Rosenblatt for uh, for connecting us. Um, first, tell me how you hooked up with the
1: Cyclones alumni. Yeah, I think. Uh... I think it was uh, Jerry Dowling. So that, again, it goes back to the artist that uh, did the Cincinnati history book. So Jerry and I became very good friends when I played in Cincinnati, and we've still remained in contact. And I think when Jerry contacted me to help him uh, author the book, which I did, like I had a a big hand in on the years that I played there, um, telling him something specific about each player to put beside their name, Kind of like a profile on the player. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, "Hey, you, did you know about this alumni thing?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, no." And I said, "Well, why don't you get me in touch with the people that are involved?" So Howie and Ray Manning mm-hmm. are the, I think, two key components. I think mm-hmm. Ray does all the hard work, and Howie does the maybe even the harder uh, job of getting all the alumni yeah. and elating how many guys he can get back to the city to play. Cause we're all scattered across the world. And so Howie and I, you know, started texting, uh, figured out we're both firefighters figured out we both, and we didn't know this until I showed up in Cincinnati, but, uh, that we both love cigars. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, through the week that my wife and I were there, Howie and I sat down, had many drinks and cigars and started to shoot the shit and talk about our jobs and professions. And, you know, we still talk to this day. Howie's a great guy. And um, I love going back. Like I said, the Indian Hills Rangers tournament, there's 16 teams. It's very lucrative. I guess there's people vying to get into this tournament all the time. Once I found out what it was about, what they do is they take two, I think, local people if, if they can. So, last year, there were two charity, like, what they do is they raise all the money they can, and anybody that's been hurt on the job or off the job that are fire, police, or ambulance related, mm-hmm. they donate, split the money, and they give it all to the two people. So, one lady, fighter, oh, wow. she'd fallen off a ladder at home and, and really did herself in, like, serious head injury, still is not back to work, having a hard time functioning. Uh, And the other was a canine handler, uh, police officer uh, locally, uh, had a stroke. Now, I think he's kind of on his way to mending and he might actually be back to work. I I knew he was recovering quite well. But again, you know, the the medical bills and missing work and losing wages is, you know, really, really can destroy a person's life. So, and again, financially. So, yeah, this this is what the Indian Hills Rangers Tournament's about, and I just thought, man, how, how can I not be involved with this? Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, went really. had a blast, and, and seriously, my wife loved Cincinnati so much. We had so much fun. She's like, we got to go back. We've already got our flights, hotel, car booked. We're going to go down for longer. You know, I think we're down for six or seven days. We're going to go for 11 this time. Take in the sights more. Cincinnati's a beautiful city. And, uh I got to finish, obviously. With so we were one of the last nights we were there last year. <clears throat> There's about four or five couples. We've all decided to go out and have a few drinks and uh, dinner, and Howie tags along. Now Howie and I had already been drinking through the day, mm-hmm. and Howie has decided to continue having heavy bourbons <laughs> at the restaurant, and he kind of buckles himself, okay. and he he kind of realizes that man, (laughs) I don't know if I can stick it out for dinner. He goes, I am (laughs) going to go back to my hotel room. And we're like, okay, are you going to be okay? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. So he goes to the front of the restaurant, which is not visible to us where we're sitting at our table. And we kind of hear a commotion going on up front and things are getting louder and... Then, finally, uh, somebody, I think it was the, the hostess, uh, comes. There's two police officers. They come, and they start talking to us. Do you know this gentleman? And we're like, yeah, I think you know who you're talking So, one of the ladies in our party gets up, goes to the front. Now, there's the two officers that are standing at our table, but there's seven officers up front. <laughs> Because how he has created a bit of a kerfuffle up front. (laughs) A ruckus. (laughs) So all he's doing is trying to get an Uber so he can go home. But I think there was a miscommunication and he got kind of upset saying, well, it's the law. You guys have to call me an Uber. Like, just call me an Uber. Yeah. And, And they refused. And so it kind of went from there. And so they got the police and they're like, well, this guy's, you know, causing a huge problem. And so nine officers showed up to deal with Howie, how he was It was easily mitigated. It was way too extreme of a response. Um, Howie was not out of control or anything, but mm-hmm. he was, you know, he was inebriated. Yeah. He had trouble communicating that night. So. It ended up being a very funny story to be able to tell all ended. Well, yeah. out and going home, all sleeping it off. And I think we drove him to the airport the next day and even had more laughs over it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that is a, uh, amazing way to conclude this. So, um, the, the last question that I always ask people, and, uh, by the way, I, I really appreciate all the time you've given me. You've been an amazing guest. Um, and I know we've covered a lot and I appreciate the fact that you brought a lot to the table too, stuff that I wasn't aware of. Uh, is there anything that I didn't ask you or, or um, that I didn't bring up that you'd like to, uh, to touch on?
1: I don't know. I think um, the biggest thing, like if, if a pro hockey player was listening to this or my son, I think, I think that, um, you know, always follow your dreams is a, is a big i think promotion i would have amongst any young young person always stand up for what you believe in um and you know in regards to minor hockey nowadays i just think people are just nutty over the hill crazy stupid
0: <laughs> i think that's not, probably not just relegated to hockey i'm imagining it's probably
1: across the board in uh, all the youth sports like that yeah, and I just think that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate it's got to what it, what it is, the cost, uh, the time commitment, the year-round commitment. You know, when I, when I started playing, I played baseball. I played soccer. I had fun. I became a multifaceted athlete. You know, and they talk about this. They, they still have scientific evidence to show that quit killing our kids, right? Let them yeah. have kids. Let them have fun. Let them enjoy the summers. Let them play different sports. I just don't think we need to, you know, run ourselves into the ground financially, run our children into the ground to chase this almighty holy grail. There's millions of kids playing volleyball. There's millions of kids playing basketball and soccer. It's only 1% that make it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, get yeah. a grasp of reality, and realize it's it's still a sport. It's
0: still for fun. Play play for fun and get an education. That's what I say because there's so many other options out there for kids if they if they have that education. Um, yeah, you just uh, it's a shame, like you say, like these a lot of the parents are just putting all the eggs in one basket. Uh, you you know it, you're gonna teach these kids disappointment because chances are they're not gonna make the NHL and. You know, then they have to deal with that. Do they feel like they're a disappointment or or what? And uh, it's a lot of pressure for kids. Just and it, it definitely you're either going to burn them out or take the fun away.
1: Well, the stories the stories I hear, Joe, are like my son's only just turned eleven, mm-hmm. but I I have a lot of younger buddies mm-hmm. at work that have older boys, you 15, seventeen. and you well, know when they get cut or their buddies get cut and now they're not on the team with their friends anymore. They actually just quit hockey. Oh jeez. Okay. Yeah. And they're done. They're yeah. they're burnt up. they're tired of it. They're tired of the stress and the schedule. And I think I want my son to enjoy hockey to enjoy it for the rest of his life as an adult going to the rink, having a beer with the guys in the dressing room, joking around and having those memories where I think a lot of guys are cutting themselves short because they're, we're just running our kids into the ground with this expectation and you're you're phasing them out way earlier than than they ever should they should still enjoy a sport for the rest of their life whatever that sport may be yeah but uh that's that's those are the stories i hear and i, I think it's very sad definitely well
0: uh, that, that is a great way to end this and again uh swampy lamplighter marshy uh whatever you want to be called whatever your nicknames are this was phenomenal i appreciate your time and. Uh, all I can say is thank you so much.
1: Well, thanks for your time, Joe, and I'm glad we hooked up. And, again, thanks to Howie for make, uh, bridging, making those bridges. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's, been, it's been very pleasurable, very enjoyable, and uh, it was fun to rehash names and memories and uh, everything mixed in between. So thank you. appreciate right. it. I appreciate it, and we'll
0: talk soon, okay? Sounds good. All right. See you. Bye.